Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be doing part two of our series on the significations of the 12 houses, and we're going to talk about the meaning of houses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 in this episode. So uh, joining me today is Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, hey. Joining me once again in the studio. Uh, so part one of, on the houses we recorded yesterday, and we're going to release that in November. Then this is part two, the follow-up that we're releasing sometime in December. And we spent a lot of time going through conceptual stuff uh, related to the underlying premise of how the significations come about in the houses. And then we did a long, very painstaking run through the first six houses. Today, since we don't have to go through as much conceptual stuff, I think we'll spend obviously less time talking about that and more time just talking about what houses 7 through 12 mean. Mm -hmm. So are there any preliminary things that we should get out of the way or talk about before we jump into it? I think we did that last I time. I think we can probably just go. Okay. And the seventh house, everybody wants to know about the seventh house. Well, okay. One, one thing, thing that I think we'll end up doing anyway is that now that we've done the first six, as we do the oh, yeah. second set, the clear relationship of every house to its opposite house yeah. will it will be glaringly obvious to the point that it would be strange if we didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So that'll be, I think, part of our structure this time. Yeah, there's more of a like a personal sense when you're talking about houses one through six, and then suddenly you get to house seven, and you're more clearly and consistently talking about the the other in in some ways. Yeah, or even the out in the world kind of sphere. Sure, there's there is a a difference in orientation, if you like. Like the public sphere? Yeah, there's something about the out there nature, more public, more seen perhaps. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the the relationship between the houses. Yes. Either. I think that is really critical. It adds to it. Yeah, just like, uh, just as with the signs, part of the way you get to know the houses is by knowing what they relate to. Yes. Mm -hmm. What they're connected to and then the ways in which they're different from that. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that's most obvious with our first house of the day, which is the seventh, which is other people that are important in your life, as a, and it's as opposed to the first house, which is you. So we have the you and the other. Yes. Yeah, so let me throw up a chart that has a, a diagram with all 12 houses and their significations. And I meant to mention this is one of the posters. We're actually putting this on a poster this year for the uh, – poster package where we include uh, the transits for the year in both a circular chart as well as a secondary one that shows all the sign ingresses throughout the course of the year. And this is like the third bonus poster we're using, and that's part of the reason we want to do this this year, so people can have this on their wall as a reference as they're trying to memorize the significations of the houses. So these are all the significations, and then to zoom in on, uh, let's see, we did houses one through six yesterday, there's the significations of those. And here is the houses in the second half of the wheel that we're going to be going through today, starting with house seven. So the seventh house in ancient astrology, the original name for this was the setting place, uh, since that is, of course, both where the sun sets each day in the evening once it hits the degree of the descendant, but also planets through their diurnal rotation. They also set each day on the western horizon, which is associated with the seventh house. Uh, the seventh is an angular house, and the primary significations that I have on our chart here associated with it is relationships, partnership, marriage, 
and the concept of the other as contrasted with the first house signification, which is the self. So first house is self and seventh house is other. Mm. So back to what you were saying, Austin, That's where that was your entry point into this, was you were saying that this is primarily the house of the other? Mm-hmm. This is the most social house of the zodiac we've talked about, not of the zodiac, of the chart. Right. Um, you know, we've talked about how planets in a given chart are not always primarily going to show up as you. Um, the unit of the chart is the life, not the self. The self mm. is a subpart of the life, the part yeah. you identify with. Mm -hmm. And in the seventh, which opposes the first, we see uh, we see planets showing up as people you encounter and have significant relationships with. Yeah, and that's one of my that's one of my keywords for the seventh is significant relationship, mm. and that certainly includes the romantic and marriage partnership types. But you'll also see people that you have very close friendships or even close business partnerships with. One of my the so we talked about the third as a social place, but the seventh is. The seventh is much more social. It is the angular house that uh, has strong social sig significations. And so um, you see a level of intimacy and entanglement in the seventh that you don't see in the third. Yeah. The intimacy factor, I think, because I, I do, I say the same thing that the seventh house can describe a very close friendship, mm -hmm. um, and of course the business partnerships as well. But the, what defines a close friendship from not a close friendship, or from you know a close business partnership, is that level of intimate exchange. Uh, not referring necessarily to anything physical intimacy, but it's more that emotional, um, the the sort of knowingness that the other person has around who you are and, and what you're about and what you're dealing with. And so one okay. of the things that's funny about that is that also sometimes it creates and there's a natural tension with the seventh house because it's also, if you're looking at it and contrasting it with the rising sign, uh, the seventh house represents often many opposing uh, qualities mm -hmm. that you don't have in the rising sign, especially in terms of the elemental polarity where, um, for example, if you have let's say just hypothetically Aquarius rising, then Leo. <laughs> just hypothetically. <laughs> yeah, just, hypothetical just throwing Aquarius out examples. Uh, hypothetical ones. So if you had Aquarius rising, then Aquarius is like a uh, masculine air sign that is also a fixed sign. Mm -hmm. But then on the descendant, what you find is the opposite elementally, you find a fire sign. You find Leo, mm. uh, a fire sign, which at least in the stoic qualities, uh, fire signs tend to be hot and air signs tend to be cold or cooling. There's some debate about that in the tradition in terms of like hot versus cold, which signs are which. But let's just say for the sake of argument, at least, that Aquarius is very different than Leo. Totally. And so there, there's something about the seventh house when you're looking at it from that perspective that is automatically presenting a contrasting uh, quality that's sort of absent in some ways or not present while there's similarities, both of them being like fixed signs or both of them being, let's say, masculine signs, if you use that language, uh, the elemental difference is introducing something new and something contrasting enough to be sometimes uncomfortable but other times um, productive and useful. Yeah, I, so I would agree with that, and I would say it's even easier to make that point with planetary rulers. Mm, right. Yes, right? I was Aquarius say is ruled by Saturn, and Leo's yeah. ruled by the Sun. Yeah, you've got massive thin, polarity. Thin and grim on one side. 
I don't know if that was the term, but okay. uh, that's what I said. We're, um, we're going to stick with and then that. You, and then you have, you know, sunny. Warm and sunny yeah, on the on other the side. Other. And Mars and Venus ruled signs opposed and Mercury and Jupiter, Jupiter ruled, ruled signs opposed. And then Sun, Saturn and Moon, Saturn. So we always have strong polarity. Yeah. Right. So that, that idea of polarity and sometimes that can be difficult or it can indicate tensions. It can indicate that which feels uncomfortable to the native in some sense because it's it's um, an opposite or almost antithetical quality from what they personally exude in some ways themselves as a, in terms of what's coming from their first house and their body and their mind. But other times it can also be a, a component that you're sort of missing and can sort of attract to yourself in a way that um, complements or completes and adds something that's actually useful or beneficial that you might not have had otherwise. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's almost astrology's way of saying that you're you're bound to encounter um, what you refuse to identify with, or which or that which you simply don't identify with, mm -hmm. or that, that which the, you, would, the, you reject. The, the opposite's just going to find you. Yeah, it yeah, is. and and that might be there astronomically in the sense that like the ascendant is that which was rising and emerging and coming into visibility at the moment of your birth, whereas the setting is something that's. Um, moving underneath the horizon and is being concealed and submerged in some sense so that it's not always fully conscious in the individual, especially early on in their life, but it's something that they may may come into their life or be added to it at some point. Yeah. Well, and so the uh, the horizonal dynamics are really important here, just as they are in the first, mm -hmm. right? Because the first is the the first and the seventh are the only two houses that in a whole sign system are partially above the horizon mm. and partially below. Right. Yeah. And in the first, we dealt with that as that union of the ghostly and the fleshy. Mm. And what is the other but another union of the ghostly and the fleshy, mm. right? And that's who we're relating to. Yeah. Mm. And none of the other houses have that uh, astronomical characteristic. Yeah. And it's important that the ascendant or the rising sign the astronomical motion is one of like emergence, like that's where the sun emerges from underneath the horizon or where the planets rise up and emerge over the horizon. But at the descendant, we have the opposite motion astronomically where the plant, the sun is setting and submerging and like moving into the earth or the mm. other planets are setting and moving into and being submerged within, but also uniting with the earth in some way where the sky and the earth come together. And I think it's that notion of like coming together and union that ends up becoming one of the primary symbolic motifs of the mm -hmm. seventh house and most of the significations then that, that come out of the seventh house. Yeah. Well, and to further riff on that, a planet that is rising in the east is separating yeah, from, that's what I was just gonna is yeah. it's separating from and it is individually visible yeah. as separate from the earth, where a planet that is setting is uh coming back to that unification. If we think about the sun, right? The rising every day, the sun is separate from the earth as its own thing, and then it's coming back together with the earth, just like you were saying. So you you have that union. You also, if just to use the sun as a model here. Um, if we're talking about the individuating of mm. consciousness mm -hmm. or the like the 
understanding of self as separate than other. Yes. And then we have in the seventh, we have the like, oh, other people exist, that coming back to to union and compromise and, you know, that, oh, I'm not alone. I have to make. How do I interact with another? You know, if I'm not alone, I can't just do everything I want when I want. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and what were you saying, Kelly? You were going to go. Oh, with yeah. That just riffing bit. on that idea that you guys were talking about. The the visual I got when you're talking about the sun setting is the it becomes less clear where the distinctions of separation are. So that you know, if you're outside two hours before sunset, you can very clearly see the horizon line. But the longer you stay out there, and the more the sun sets, the more it's like, is that the horizon? Because as it gets darker, so there is that sense of mm-hmm. we have less separation here, and so therefore there is that idea, like just exactly what you were well, yeah, saying. Yeah, like that. Like there's a visual. There's a blurring. visual component. The blurring, like it's mm-hmm. not clear where the lines are, and partnership is about clarifying where the lines are that perhaps you're both on one side of, but then the lines between you, do we want lines? Do we not want lines? Where do we want to put our lines? Yeah, when like? the lines will, it, it, as it's a like, negotiation, it's yeah. inherently dynamic. It's an so, evolving thing. Just like a sunset, right? You, yeah. The, they're here now and then they're over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, um, there's a lot of symbolism in that idea of the union mm-hmm. here, I think. That's a really good point, Chris. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's actually comes back to the issue that we mentioned earlier about there still being an issue of traditionally there's like three different houses at different points that have been associated with sex. But in the second century, Valens and I think some of the early Hellenistic astrologers had a tendency to sometimes put it in the seventh house because of that notion of union, Yeah, of like coming together symbolically. Well, um, you definitely – I mean, and, uh, if we're talking about, if we're saying sex acts require two or more people, I mean, there are certainly some that can be that done do solitary. Not. Yeah. But if we're using two plus as our definition, as our definition. For, or that's a meaningful subcategory of sex acts, um, then like- Austin you does know, like to be specific. Right. We, yeah. we yeah. noticed that in specific. the first part. Yeah. Um, then, you know, you do need- a seventh, you need, you need something the, going partner. on with the seventh house to get somebody else there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, and that we can differentiate that between sexual pleasure, mm-hmm. right? Because a person can pleasure themselves without needing anybody else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep. if, if we're, you know, if we're talking more, about the context of physical intimacy with another person, mm-hmm. then, then you need somebody else. Yeah. Or yeah. something else. So this opens up the broader category then of the the main one that we find um, in the seventh house, which is just uh, relationships. And and this is where astrologers look to in the chart for the topic of relationships, both in terms of what is the sign that is on the cusp of the seventh house and what is the quality of that sign, what planets are in the seventh house, um, and what what are the quality of those planets that those are importing into the seventh house in terms of what that means for the types of relationships the person might have, Mm -hmm. Um, and then also looking at the ruler of the seventh house for additional information about relationships in the life of the native in general. Hugely important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what types of, so romantic relationships is often the primary one that we're talking about there. Yes. And that is, that is the primary piece, I think. And that's usually like longish term, let's say relationships. Like it doesn't, while marriage will sort of get to that point, and that's certainly one of the primary relationships. If a person does get married at some point, the marriage partner, that's where you'll find them is in the seventh house. Yeah. This can also mean just like a long-term, let's say a steady relationship 
would fall under the category of the seventh house. Yeah, I think if there is a some sort of known commitment, doesn't have to be a marriage ceremony per se, but if it's that idea of we are together or, you know, we have defined this relationship, it doesn't, you know, could be exclusive, not exclusive, but whatever agreement you make. Uh, but the I think there is a longevity component and probably something in the, you know, how bound together are our lives in mm. terms of are we living together? Um, are we working together? Do we have children together? Some of those components would sort of clue you into the the substantive nature of the relationship, which would make it a seventh house. What did you you said intertwining? What was the keyword you just used? Was that in, intertwining? Uh, yeah, some sort of your lives are kind of bound together. Yeah, in some way that kind of, yeah. that made me think is the keyword that Valens uses, which is evidently like an, a euphemism for sex, but he says like intertwining in Greek or or. Uh, which like a closest English equivalent is like intercourse. Yeah. Which literally means the same thing. It means like an intertwining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But okay. I like you using that keyword because that's one of the important things that happens in a long-term relationship is it becomes an, an intertwining of your lives. Absolutely. On so many different levels. Yeah. And that's one of the things that characterizes a uh, relationship or a long-term relationship versus let's say a friendship or something is mm. that sort of intertwining and that merging of your lives. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More? No? <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I would so planets that are placed in the seventh will uh, it's interesting because they they do, I would say, triple duty. Because again, we're here at an angular house. Yes. So any so planet, the global impact. Yeah, it's it's just gonna do a lot of things. Yeah. Um one is that it's going to characterize a person's subjective taste for other people in relationships. And they may or may not be conscious of what they're attracted to, but it's there. Um, on an external level, um, you're going to tend to be drawn into connection um, with people represented by planets in the seventh and ruling the seventh. Yeah. Um, and then three, um, planets in and ruling the seventh also have a lot to say about, the, about timing in a person's romantic life. So, mm -hmm. for example, um, if you have Saturn uh, in the seventh, especially, but you know, also ruling it, yes. then you know what we can we can say probably eighty percent of the time, if there's a strong Saturn in the in the seventh, that person is going to couple off later than mm -hmm. the person who has Venus in mm -hmm. the seventh Saturn, yeah. and so the the planets comment on at least those three things. Yeah. So Saturn in the seventh can indicate, or one of the classical delineations is delays in relationships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people out there who are, I don't know, 25 and looking um, woefully uh, at their seventh, like if you've got Saturn there, it doesn't mean that it, you know, that you don't get what you want. It does mean that you get it later. Yeah. And, you know, what Saturn takes all day to cook um, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's often usually quite worth waiting for. Yeah. Um, so I have Saturn ruling my seventh Kelly, yeah. you have Saturn in the seventh. Yes. We both met our marriage partners during our Saturn returns. I thought that's what you were going to say actually, is that, you know, you could look to the Saturn cycle, whether it was the Saturn return or some other type of Saturn trigger to activate that given its connection to the seventh. Yeah. And then I got married on the waxing square of Saturn to Saturn. Yes. Which is also the the maturity of Saturn in yes. the Vedic system, but yeah. it, it was all Saturn timed. All Saturn. That's yeah. probably a good principle in general for all the houses that wherever Saturn is located in the chart can sometimes indicate difficulties 
earlier in the life or things that might be a little bit more difficult for the person in that area of the life, but eventually get better with age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you need absolutely like a fine wine. Yeah, and you don't want to drink that too soon. There are special sure. circumstances <laughs> that can um, interfere with Saturn fructifying later, but the baseline is that it'll get it's way better in your forties than it is in your twenties. Yep, and better again, I think, in your fifties or your sixties, like just progressively. Yeah, yeah, improves. But so that's, I guess, Saturn in the seventh. But obviously, you could have any planet there or ruling the seventh, and the qualities of that planet will come in. Mm -hmm. to, well, and you'll, yeah, you know, a simple way to do it is like, oh, if the person's got Mercury in the seventh, they're going to want somebody they can talk to. Yes, it's, it's going to be really important. So simple an air sign ruling the seventh or Mercury in the seventh. Uh, you know, you might say your love language is communication. I sure. mean, there are other ways you So what? Yeah. Uh, let's see. So I have Capricorn in some of my love languages, <laughs> responsibility. Responsibility, hard work. <laughs> Restraint, maybe. Restraints. Not inaccurate. Well, no, and it was just what it what it would indicate is you respect or perhaps are potentially drawn to a partner, like the theory would say, who is responsible. Somebody who's got their shit together, for instance. You know, Capricorn's seventh house would struggle with a partner who was a little more flaky or a little bit more creative or a little bit more disorganized. Whereas other placements um, like a Venus seventh house connection would be, you know, really into the creative partner or the artistic partner. Yeah. One, it, it, uh, so the, the planet ruling or in the seventh will also describe sort of relationship style. Style. Totally. So for me, yeah. um, you know, with Saturn ruling the seventh, I was only ever interested in like, are we, you know, are we, are, are we in a relationship? Yeah. Or oh, if we define this, yeah. Like my, my few attempts at like dating or more like less defined structures, like it was really uncomfortable for me. I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and so I was very like doing this or not or doing not. This. So it was very clear distinction. Right. Whereas if somebody has Mercury in the seventh, right, that's going to be very, it's going to be a much more mobile, like sort of that's ambiguity. a person who can probably date much more effectively than me. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Or um, one I've seen where a lot of the modern texts, where I, I, I still agree with this, it's a pretty good delineation that I see sometimes is like the sun in the seventh and sometimes the person or people with heavy seventh house emphasis need a relationship or a partnership and sometimes they find themselves through other people or their sense of like self-identity sometimes does become more well-defined where Initially, that doesn't go well at all because they'll sometimes at the beginning of a relationship tend to completely subsume their own identity to the partner. Yeah. But then eventually in the long term, sometimes if it works out well, that comes around and eventually they find themselves again and there's a give and take or a back and forth that happens with that. Yeah. And that's, uh, I would say, at least as true, if not more so, if you have Ruler the First and the Seventh. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yes, that's that's the other piece. But it it is, and that's an accurate statement to make, is that a person might really define themselves through their partnership. And mm -hmm. I've said to, to clients who have Lord One and the Seventh or strong solar indications around the Seventh, it's really important for you to focus on quality control right. where your partner and your relationship is concerned because you're going to take a lot of your sense of self or self-worth from that part of your chart. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you really don't want to dud. <laughs> well, it's because sometimes that can work out well if it's a good relationship, but if it's not yeah. a good relationship- That's it where can... it becomes way more problematic. Yeah. 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 
So yeah, well, and it's a great topic. The thing is, it's a big topic. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge topic, and and it's one that clients and students always want to know about. Right. Well, and this was the episode I did last month, I guess now with oh, Jessica yeah. Lignato, partially about relationships. Although yeah. this is like a subset of that. That that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, you could we could do a whole three hour episode just yeah. on the seventh house. <laughs> so I guess we're like, how much more should we say? What were you about to say, Austin? Uh, I was going to go further down that particular rabbit hole, but I don't think that's useful. Um, so let's talk about just the non-romantic parts of the seventh. Yeah, yeah that's a good definitely. idea. Um, because the oh, seventh, yeah, the, the seventh is yeah. the seventh is also just like it's the it's the biggest people gateway in the chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I don't know. For example, if you have strong Jupiter there, um, you're probably going to meet teachers for whatever you want to learn very easily yeah because mm-hmm. they're they're just jupiter people you know rolling through your seventh consistently yeah um and so you know it's uh as you say the social significations of the seventh are focused to a laser point in um like significant partnership but you also just meet a lot of people like that yeah benefits from other people Ju- yeah. jupiter in the seventh let's say yeah yeah one of the other topics that I often am talking about with res- regards to the seventh house is the idea of someone who works in a practitioner client style environment. Mm-hmm. So that one-on-one type relationship. So, you know, when we sit down with a client, we're engaging in a seventh house style relationship with that client. So some of the other significations is like if Lord seven is in the 10th or Lord of the 10th or Lord of the Midheaven is in the seventh that can indicate that a component of your work is in this seventh house type setting. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be one-on-one. One-on-one. So you could, whether you're a massage therapist or a naturopath or an astrologer, would all fulfill the one-on-one category. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes your uh, marriage partner or long-term partner is somehow tied in with your career or your that work. That can also be, yeah, when there's 710 crossover. Yeah, right. or you meet the Through, partner at work. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. Okay. And that's where if people are like, what kind of setting would I go to try to potentially meet a romantic partner is see what house Lord Seven is in. Right. Yeah. Sure. Definitely. And that can be a help. But yeah, the one-on-one. So there is a bit of a work component that can come up in certain- Yeah, when the 10th is involved. When the 10th is involved. Yeah. And sure. that, that principle goes for the rest of the houses. Totally. Well. Totally. Right. So if you have the Lord of the Seventh and the Ninth, then you are likely, you are much more likely to meet people that you're interested in. Um, when you're at church or on vacation. Yes. Yeah, like a, yeah. a religious partner or a partner from a foreign country or yeah. a partner that you met in a foreign country is a typical delineation of like first, seventh house, ninth house connections. Totally. Yeah, or they could be in your country, but they're from the other country. Right. Yeah, Yeah. or any other country. Yeah. yeah. All right. One of the things that comes up at the seventh house that might bear mentioning here is uh, the seventh house is one of those houses that has an aspect with the first house, mm-hmm. but because it's in opposition and planets in the seventh house are automatically opposing the ascendant and other first house planets, it can sometimes create some tension there, especially if it's difficult planets, because it creates some tension with whatever your first house placements are, which can mm-hmm. be your body or your mind. And typically in like the Hellenistic tradition, they tended to put enemies in the sixth house or the 12th house, Mm -hmm. but there was a bit of drift in the medieval tradition where they started putting enemies or ideas of um, combatants Mm. or like open enemies enemies. in the seventh house because of that opposition and that tension with uh, the first house. I would say that one, I would say, I would agree with basically enemies are 612. Okay. Um, A malefic in the seventh is an enemy. 
sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be. Uh, I don't think that the 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 seventh can host enemies, but you have to have specific conditions. Whereas the sixth and twelfth will always tell you about that which opposes you. Yeah, because also sometimes things that are making hard aspects <coughs> with the ascendant can indicate things that are causing like health problems for you or like bodily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. problems for you to whatever extent the ascendant or first house planets indicate your body and physical vitality. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes this is also true, just the other uh, f- facet of this is looking at transits and transits through the seventh house. Mm-hmm. So those can often be important periods of timing for relationships, either for the starting or ending of relationships, or if you're in a long-term partnership, then it can be an important turning point or or a pivotal time for relationships in some way. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, and I would say that that's especially true during the formation stages of a partnership, let's say first five years or whatever, Mm -hmm. when you've been together for, I don't know, a a good, let's say one Venus, you know, right? So eight years, right? Eight years, yeah. Um, A lot of times what I've seen is that the the transits of the seventh just tell you about what's going on with that person's partner. Mm. Um, And they may or may not have any uh, any impact on relational dynamics other than like, Oh yeah, my sweetie's having a really rough time, or my partner just won the lottery, yeah. and that it's, impacts that's things. That's actually really true. That the seventh house transits can describe experiences or circumstances more directly affecting the relation, the partner. Sorry, right? Like yeah, so Saturn there can be like my partner's having a rough time at work, for instance, and Jupiter there is like my partner's got the raise or won the lotto. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's funny about that sometimes is if you see, I've seen people get disappointed because they'll have like a very positive transit going through their seventh house that's hitting a natal planet and they're excited about that, but then nothing positive happens in their life with their partner, like it's a raise or something like that. Uh, Yeah. But this is is like what we're to our point, which we've been sort of reiterating throughout episode one and a little bit today is that the chart represents your life as a whole and the seventh house is going to describe the significant people in it. And so triggers to the seventh is like triggers for them, not necessarily for you personally. Yeah. 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 And it's like sometimes that can have a ricochet effect on your life, but it doesn't always necessarily have to. Sometimes it can just be in their life. Yeah. Although certainly sometimes like with like, let's say a super heavy difficult transit and like there is the like the death of a partner mm-hmm. um obviously that's affecting the partner the most and that their life <laughs> came to an end at that point but that's, that's a big thing um yeah obviously that also affects you in terms of your experience of going through that of losing a partner and just that duality sometimes when you start getting into these houses that deal with other people in your life of it describing both sometimes an event in their life but also sometimes it, it can affect or does affect you and how that affects you yeah, Absolutely. I mean, if you're at the point where you're actually sharing a life with someone and you're like, you have plans together, yeah. then anything that significant that happens to them does affect your plans. You. It affects the person you're hanging out with every day if you, know, if you live together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's where it's a very subtle distinction to be like, well, this happens to your partner. So the technical beginning point is that your partner experiences x y or z but it will absolutely affect your time with them i mean i mean if your partner gets really busy at work your relationship is going to be different for that time or you know going forward as a result of that yeah Mm -hmm. and so you know from a technical perspective if the rulers of the first and seventh are really are 
in strong aspect to each other, then you're more affected by your partner, your partner's more affected by you. Mm -hmm. If they're off doing separate things, then that's going to be less. Yeah. Right? And that'll be reflected in you know, in life. In life in general. Yeah. Sure. So to take that back out of the the relationship realm, um, it can I know also- we keep ending up back there. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> it's so easy. It's fine. I so mean, easy to do, isn't it? It's really the primary area that's relevant, but there are areas occasionally, like for example, um, contractual uh, relationships or contractual agreements, or especially in electional astrology, if you're trying to elect a chart for signing an agreement with another party- then usually you're the first house, the person signing it, and then you have the other party, mm -hmm. which is assigned to the seventh house typically. The person that you're trying to do the deal with. Yeah. yeah. So in that, even in other electional, it comes up very frequently in electional astrology, like in like buying and selling relationships. Yeah, yeah. The, the elections um, for, and horrors, for any contest mm -hmm. between yeah. two parties, it's one seven. Yes. Um, you know, if you're when you're doing sports type things, yeah, like, like who's gonna win. Especially like boxing, where there are two <laughs> where there are two people. <laughs> two right? people, yes, that's um, true. Unless it's champ versus contender, which is four ten, but if they're on relatively even footing, Terms, mm -hmm. yeah. it's always one seven. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So all sorts of partnerships and things like that, it comes up in um uh, if you start a business with somebody where it's like you and your and a partner starting a business, mm -hmm. sometimes that can show up in the seventh house. I mean, obviously, if it, if it's a close friend, sometimes that gets murky in terms of you might see eleventh house activations or other things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other seventh house things we need to touch on as well, there's death, sure. yeah. So we start getting into the realm of death um in this angular triad, especially. So we've yeah. got like illness with the sixth, mm -hmm. and then the seventh is the setting place. And originally, in the original set of yeah. significations for the houses, death was assigned to. The I'm seventh. Sure, that's where Maternus had it. Yeah, well, and that's um, in Vedic, that's standard. Um, they still assign it to the seventh. Still, yeah, yeah. So, um, but they when, also assign it to the eighth, don't they? Uh, it, yes. Um, mm -hmm. When so, very basic protocol is determining which planet has the greatest killing power. Right. In Morocco. Um, and so it's either you look at the rulers of the seventh and second and see who's more malefic and stronger. Um, and then that'll be the planet that you're most concerned about when you're doing death timing. Mm. But the seventh is the primary one there. Okay. And so. that's actually because it's 12th from the eighth. Ah, yeah. Yeah. The the eighth is death, and but also longevity, and that which destroys your longevity. Mm. Um, anyway. But okay. yeah, I mean, the symbolism but anyway, of the seventh this... is used as an indicator for death. Yes. Sure. But the symbolism of the setting sun was considered to be like the death of whether it was the sun or another planet, yeah, they're right. dying. Like so, an Egyptian cosmology. Right. The, yes, the, the euphemism ideas. for death is going into the Western lands. Yes. Okay. Which is where the sun goes when it dies at night. So in, and in the early Western, the Hellenistic tradition, there was a tension for the first thousand years because there was one early text, like the first text on the houses put death in the seventh, and that was the Hermes text. And I talked about this on the previous episode on the house division issue and the debate mm. about the origins of house division. So the Hermes text was probably the first text on the houses and it put death in the seventh. But then there was the second text that was written later that revised some of the significations and it moved death uh, firmly to the eighth house. Mm. And the later tradition and authors like um, Antiochus and Thrasylus and Vadius Valens, you see a tension where 
they have the tension between which to assign it to. Yeah. Because astrologers, even if they're capable sometimes of assigning topics to multiple houses, there's always this tendency to want to try to find one primary house to put it in. Yeah. And most of the later tradition ended up um, siding with the eighth house, and at least in the Western tradition, putting death in the in the eighth for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. So we'll get into that more topic, obviously, more very in the very next yeah. house. <laughs> Um, but it's important sometimes to realize that some of these houses have a connection with each other through the connection of the angular triad mm -hmm. and there being like a process that's taking place in terms of those three houses. So this one is the angular triad around the descendant where we find you know, illness in the sixth, uh, we find the setting place in the seventh, and then we find in the most of the other tradition sort of death and inheritance and other things connected with death in the eighth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's in, and I mean, you can see too with the seventh, I can understand there that it's sort of, sort of stuckness. The seventh sees the first, but it stands in opposition to it. So you could see with the first being life that, you know, what is in opposition to life. Right. Um, but then, of course, the eighth doesn't aspect the ascendant. So, yeah, the symbolism. Yeah. And yeah. that issue of the that which does not aspect the ascendant being antithetical to life versus mm -hmm. whether the opposition itself from that sign is antithetical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else we need to touch on in the seventh before we move forward to the next house? I think it's a nice transition to the eighth. Yeah. yeah it sounds like we're already like jumping. We're, we're kind of like, <laughs> apparently we are ready to go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do it then. Uh, let's throw up the chart. So here is our diagram again for the eighth house. So the eighth house traditionally in ancient Hellenistic astrology was called the inactive place or the idle place. It is said to signify death, inheritance, and the assets of others or money or financial matters involving others. It is a succedent house. It's the succedent house that fall, follows after the seventh house or the angular house so that planets in the eighth are sort of rising up to and come after come into angularity after those in the seventh house. So those are our basic, basic sort of significations and meanings. And the eighth house is one of those tricky houses because it's gone through a lot of uh, transformations in modern times. Uh, transformation as like the keyword, <laughs> funny keyword for that house. But the eighth house is one of those houses that it, it was it's tough because when you go back and read a lot, a lot of the ancient Hellenistic texts, they don't have a ton to say about it aside from like death, inheritance. Mm. Valens does mention like the partner's money at one point as a derivative house signification, but they don't go into it a lot outside of that. But in modern times, the eighth house has become, in some astrological schools, like a major, major focus, partially due to the modern assignment of like equivocation of signs with the houses and then modern planets with the houses. Mm. Yeah, Pluto rules the eighth house, right, Chris? Well, that's what has come that's to That's in happen. your book, isn't it? Yeah, the Hellenistic <laughs> that's, astrology that's, book. Um, is that, that's Antiochus, right? Right. Uh, yeah, so they, it's like if you don't have that, if you're not assigning Scorpio to the eighth house or Pluto to the eighth house, then all you have to work with is some of what we've mentioned here, which is that it's a house that does not aspect the ascendant, mm -hmm. so therefore it's thought to be not uh, supportive of life, and that it's a succedent house that follows after the seventh house where the planets set. And that seems to be why it starts to get these ideas of that which comes after life or that which comes after death or, or death itself, 
um, because it's coming after and has a sense of finality in completing the angular triad around the descendant. Mm. There are other things that we could throw into the eighth house. Okay. That, yeah. Let's throw some positive things into the eighth well, house. Well, how about debt? Yeah, I mean debt. Well, so one yes. of the <laughs> one of the most practical or one of the more practical sets of significations with the eighth is borrowing money or mm -hmm. having money borrowed from you. Yeah. And we see this very strongly within the the second eighth axis. The second is your stuff, yeah. your the substance of the native. The eighth is sort of mine, yours, ours. Yes. Um, and so, um, you know, for a lot of um, a lot of people who deal with huge amounts of money, you often have big second eighth action because in order to do you know big business, you have to borrow money to do this. The Everything is funded, factor. you know, yeah. by by loans. And there's a repayment schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's explain why that is conceptually, because it introduced a new concept that we haven't introduced yet, which is once you get to the eighth house, you start getting into the concept of uh, derived or derivative houses or mm -hmm. turning the wheel. Because if the first house is you and the second house indicates your money or your finances, and the seventh house is the other or is your, let's say, your marriage partner, then by extension, the Eighth house is the second house relative to the seventh house. Others' money. Yeah, Other so literally money. others' yeah. money or the assets of others. And when you introduce that as a concept of other people's money or, or that which belongs to others, that's a that broadens it and creates a much broader category of, of things that you could start putting there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's not only seventh from the second, it's second from the seventh. So you're, yeah. get, you're getting that same thing yeah. on both sides. And so inheritance right yeah. is one of the oldest set of significations there and that's that's not your money until it's your money right and yes until somebody dies right yeah. um you also see um uh, at least uh I don't, I, i'm not sure if it shows up at first in the arabic phase or if we can find some late hellenistic stuff but it's been used for well over a thousand years for judging dowry Right, judging uh, like how many goats will my partner bring to the marriage? <laughs> to the marriage, that's very very relevant these days. <laughs> but it, no, but it is like it's, people it's, bring assets, people bring baggage um, of gold, silver, and it, it gross is actually relevant. Like not a dowry per se, but yeah. are you more inclined to marry someone who is more well off than you or less well off with than you? Like there is a way of assessing, and I've done this with some clients, like. The second house versus the eighth house, do you have more money than your partner? Does your partner have more money sure. than you? Sure, and it works very consistently. It's, it's quite, and clients, it's quite a spectacularly simple but quite impressive thing to be able to do with a chart. Yeah, because there can be like financial inequalities in relationships. Hugely. This um, is yeah. where you can start to see that in a chart. Yeah, yes. Well, and also even if, um, you know, uh, so that, you know, the dowry is a, a thing we mostly don't do anymore. Uh, we don't do it in America, at least. Um, it, you know, it's in effect in other parts of the world. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but you know, even if you're like, you know, we're two broke kids and we're getting married, you know, um, twenty years down the line, you know, mm. um, one person may have ended up bringing a lot more substance uh, financially yep. to the marriage. Also, um, people inherit. You know, yeah. um, unless your parents have absolutely nothing, which happens. Yes. Um, but a lot of, you know, parent, a lot of people have parents that have something. And so, again, you know, you might not, um, it might not show up when you're two broke kids, but like 
in 30 years, um, you know, one person inherits a million dollars and one parent person inherits a set of stamps. Right. Yeah. Right. I actually yeah. know somebody who was in a, like a long-term marriage for actually his entire life for 40 or 50 years and he had Jupiter in Pisces in the eighth house and his wife at one point, her mother died and they inherited like a million dollar mansion from her mother, which is yeah. just this like sudden financial windfall. And it sort of showed up in his chart through his eighth house, which was indicating the sudden rise coming from um, his partner's finances. Yeah. 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 And I've had the opposite with a client where um, something very difficult, she was in a, I, I can't remember the specifics, but it was like Saturn was transiting a difficult planet in the eighth perhaps, or, and the partner was going through an incredibly stressful time with his business, with his business partner. Right. And mm -hmm. that was causing huge financial stress on her, but it wasn't that she was in a, you know, that idea of it was her partner's difficult situation. So, but I think all the money things in the eighth house, like taxes, um, how you're handling your tax debt, um, any kind of loans, um, inheritances are not always, I have this experience personally, uh, they're not always the financial inheritance that you think about. Oh no, there's all the rest of the things that we inherit. Yeah. And the experience I had was, um, Tra Jupiter was transiting my eighth and my original astrology teacher became sick with cancer and, and did pass away in that time, which was very devastating for me on a personal level. Professionally, she was looking to hand over different elements of her practice to someone and ended up referring all of these clients to me quite early in my practice. So I sort of inherited not her entire business, but enough of kind of a leg up if mm -hmm. you like. So that just to say, yeah, inheritance isn't, I mean, it can be stamps as well. Yeah. It can be a genetic disorder. That's um, true. If you <laughs> have the ruler that. of the yeah. sixth in the eighth, yeah. like good chance that your health problems are exactly one of your parents' health problems. Health problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you can inherit talents. You can inherit psychological complexes. Mm -hmm. You can inherit stamp collections. <laughs> stamp collections. I will Donkeys. definitely inherit a stamp collection because my dad loves to collect stamps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things that oh, I've seen we, show up at the eighth house. Yeah, well, you part, just, I would just say back to just money. Like the eighth house is going into debt. Um, if you've got the ruler of the eighth in a really good position, like for example, ruler of the eighth in the second, um, by going into debt, you'll probably make money. Yeah. If you have the ruler of the eighth conjunct Saturn in the twelfth, don't go into debt. You'll yeah. probably just end up paying interest on it, yes. or you know, just as a as a general, it's a general guide to we could say luck and how things will tend to turn out for going into debt. Mm. Some people make a lot of money go by going into debt. Some people just get deeper into debt into by debt. going into yes. debt. Yes, yes, you want to oh. assess whether debt is something for you to dance with or not. And that's a you know that comes up a lot more often than um, than death. And death is absolutely something that we see through there. It's just that we generally like will use a credit card more often than people die. Correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the financial aspect of the eighth house is definitely the most not negative one that you can talk about with well, rel relative consistency. I mean, yeah, drowning in debt will be seen through hugely eight negative. Stuff. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just saying in terms of like death, you can talk about it. It's hard sometimes to frame that in a positive way, but financial matters are definitely a major eighth house topic that's not necessarily always negative. Yeah, yeah. you can like strategize around that. You sure. can. It's more productive. On the death topic, um, there is um, other associations. Like you will see sometimes if you have Lord 8 in the 10th or Lord 10 in the 8th, people work in 
the hospice industry or respite care and things like that. Right. So I had a funeral uh, person that was like a mortician. A mortician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the the connections with death are not always explicitly you dying or you dealing, you know, with the death of a loved one, but it can be being involved in the death or the grieving process in some capacity. Yeah. It was a really funny consultation because I felt like I was going out there. And I was like, I don't know how this is relevant, but you have the rule yeah. of the 8th and the 10th and like a really literal delineation is – Maybe somehow your work involves issues surrounding mortality. Yeah. And they just smiled really bigly and they're like, yeah. I'm a mortician. Yeah. 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 That was yeah. really funny. Because there are morticians in the world. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that's we have actually. You able to see that in the chart. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, every possible, um, not just vocation, but like permutation of different people's lives and how they're configured. Uh, there's so many of them, but there's, they they're all are sort of in the chart, you can see it in the chart in different ways and training yourself as an astrologer, what combination would result in like this career or this uh, focus in life or what have you is like one of the major challenges you have to do as an astrologer to train yourself is just what is possible. Totally. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Austin? No. Okay. The one other piece that I want to throw in for the eighth house, and I, I don't want us to get stuck here, but I do see this as, as relevant is the connection to kind of disturbed psychology. And what I mean by that is whether it's some fears or some paranoias, you know, I know in the modern, they sort of say psyche and psychology, but I do see a little of people who are either suffering from some types of mental health stuff and or people who work in that field with mm. strong eighth house significations. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you guys see that at all. I think it can, can I think it can contribute. I strongly prefer the 12 for I most do of too, those. I do too, actually. Like I do, but I think the eight is like a secondary well, yeah. something on that, those topics. Well, um, two things. One, uh, if you have malefics in the eighth, mm -hmm. then you're naturally in a position to deal with uh, other people's malefic, si malefic situations or feelings. Yes. I uh, see that a lot in therapists. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Um, two, within a natal chart, if you have, let's say, a life-giving planet, the ruler of the first, uh, as an example, or the sun, um, in the eighth, then it is not configured by classical aspect to the first. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't see it from the rising. And so, you know, people who have sun in the eighth have a hard time being seen. Yes. Which creates psychological, which is a psychological challenge. It's yes. hard to like get the light to the surface yes, so that other people can hidden, reflect it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one thing you'll see is that people generally don't identify with planets in the eighth because mm -hmm. there's no configuration between the, the first to the and first. the eighth. Yeah. And that's especially glaring when it's the sun or the moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, you know, the experience of that can be like, being overlooked or not seen for what you're doing. A hundred percent. Or, you know, you're uh, – one thing I've, I've encountered a lot is people with a lot of uh, Eighth House stuff where they're they're contributing a lot to somebody else's well-being or they're contributing to a group project, mm -hmm. um, but then they don't get credit for that. And again, we're back to like debt, credit, et cetera, yes. et cetera. Yeah. Um, and that has a lot to do with the not being seen. And also because it's not just them. Like with the eighth, there's always there's almost always other people involved. Mm. Like the seventh, it's a very um, othery place. Yes, right. yes, very much othery. And I would yeah. say it, you know it's the invisible othery place. Like you know debts. You know if you 
if you ever loan money or borrowed money from a friend, yeah, like you kind of don't want to talk about that yeah, and not look about awkward. it and like yeah, they'll pay me back when they you know when they can. Hopefully, we yeah. want to preserve the dynamic or you know, and a, a, a big uh, thing that happens with any long term relationship friendship or otherwise is people start like thinking about what you what they've done for the other person versus what the other person's done, done for, for them. them and and that's always like you know below mm. the threshold of norm of one seven relation mm. like the underneath right uh death or uh, taxes is another one yeah uh, which is debt, debt totally. to the government yeah yeah i mean and these are all forms of like shared or other people's money basically like when yeah. we pay our taxes i'm putting my money with your money mm. and we're gonna do something like get the garbage picked up once a week or whatever we're yeah i like to think to. of i like to think of death in terms of the borrowing like we have borrowed a body Right. Like, we got to give yeah. it all back. Oh, that's like, it's going to come due. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to pay this loan at some point. Yeah. Like, this is a rental. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, brilliant. we mentioned this earlier at one point, maybe in the second house, but accountants sometimes come up under the eighth house because you're yep. like working with other people's money. Absolutely. Or, Stockbrokers, or bankers, bankers, investment bankers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Which is all the leveraging. So to yeah. bring around with some of the modern significations, though, one, I was curious how you guys feel about this, but death, we're talking about it very literally here, but in what instances can the eighth be more like metaphorical death, which then leads to closer to the modern interpretation of the eighth, which has more, they try to take it more in the direction of like transformation. And while some of that comes from the equation, the attempt to equate the eighth house with Scorpio and with Pluto especially, is transformation a relevant eighth house signification, do you think? Well, I would say that if you are carrying debt, that is a situation in need of transformation. And that is true on a financial level. In order to achieve financial health, right, you need to pay, get on a payment schedule. If that is occurring in the context uh, emotionally uh, of, a, of a relationship mm -hmm. where like, uh, let's say you feel like the other person has been giving half of what you have or vice versa, that is a situation in need of transformation, a dynamic that's in need of transformation if you're going to obtain uh, relational health. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can extend that principle. Um, it, eighth house situations often need change in order to be sustainable or healthy. Yeah, so there's a sense of they're not, there's a level of things maybe not being sustainable or functional potentially in their well, current state. Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, by uh, by the very definition of, of debt, right, um, where um, whether you've loaned the money or borrowed it, mm. um, you're in an unequal situation. Absolutely, right? there's a power dynamic that's created there. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get, yeah, and debt's great power dynamic, right? Yeah. Like the United States has used debt very effectively to control a variety of countries. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to give you a development loan. Yes, Yeah. But I guess so. There's almost a very pedantic difference of what difference of what I think you guys are talking about. Because Chris, you're saying, I think you're saying, like, is the eighth house just a, a place of transformation? Is it a place where other things, other metaphorical deaths, can take place? Yeah. What I was just trying to say that all yeah. of these situations are actually in dire need of transformation. Of transformation. And transformation yeah. is the problem with transformation is that it's a huge word. Yeah. You know, because that could mean anything. Like if I grew, yeah. if I grew a pair of devil horns, that would be a transformation, right? But that's not, you know, like it's too big a word. 
But like the situation needs to change to be brought to sustainable, healthy, equitable. Yeah. Very often in the eighth. Those situations show up a lot of the time in the eighth. More consistently. Yeah. And then metaphorical death. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Kelly? Or yeah, what, what I, others? Because you were bringing in another signification that's more modern when you were talking about yeah, what again? Yeah, the, like this psychology thing. And I know it's very easy to be like, this is a modern take for the eighth. But I think there are some kind of older allusions to this. Yeah, like doesn't like the occult or something that's like hidden or something get thrown in the eighth occasionally? Is the, that true? The, the occult is like, well, yeah, but it wasn't so much that. It's... That it's so, it's along the twelfth house mental health spiritual like bad fortune sorry bad spirit piece that there's a version of that that seems to sit in the eighth house as well and I wonder if it's because it's about things that are blind to the first right because it's uh, the eighth house can't see the first house or the yeah, first house can't see can't the eighth see house. the eighth house so it's like there can be things that you're not aware of that can be causing you uh, like unease in inside you know the psyche or the mind if you like right. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like we we're gonna probably end up fact checking this. I'm gonna so, pull out balance. Yeah. See, so. so while you're doing that, I'll speak to um, the occult. Yes. So again, too big a word because there's a lot of different things practiced by I don't know a hundred different cultures, et cetera, et cetera. If you're looking at ritualized work, like highly ritualized, a lot of times you look at the ninth. Yeah. Um, if we're lo- what I see, because I've read for a lot of practitioners of a lot of different styles, with the eighth, I see a lot of people who are doing. Um, no. I see no. a lot of people who are doing um, more mediumistic stuff. Yeah. Whenever I've read for people who e- are either professionally or part time or just really interested in mediumship, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which primarily but not exclusively concerns the dead. It's always big eighth house stuff. Yeah, that it's, makes sense. It's eighth. A lot of times it'll be like ruler of the eighth and the seventh, um, or there'll be multiple indicators, like three planets in the eighth with Pluto on the descendant. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't see um, people who are, let's say like, just to take, for example, astrological magic, where you have to be able to calculate the chart and construct the ceremony and do all that, that shows up in the ninth. That that type of magic right. occultism, yeah. yeah. Whereas like more mediumistic stuff, spirit interaction, yeah, uh, shows up very strongly in the eighth. Yeah. What is that category that a lot of people are talking about lately? Of like talk dealing with your ancestors or ancestor ancestral work. Yeah, ancestral work um, relevant there. Yeah, that's going to be. Or is that more of a fourth house thing? I I would say fourth eighth. Okay. Um, like I like I said during the last episode, the fourth is like what's there ancestrally. The eighth is what concerns you about that. Mm. Um, and so if those two houses are really tied together, then that's really important. But, you know, in most cultures historically, you did, um, you know, you honored your ancestors regardless of whether you were being haunted or not, right? Right. Which would be a way of activating the fourth mm-hmm. and your roots. Um, but, you know, if you've got specific stuff going on like uh that shows up in the eighth then that's going to be crucially important yeah uh so i just pulled out uh my book hellenistic astrology the study of fate and fortune available in fine bookstores everywhere and uh valens vadius valens in the second century he says the eighth house signifies death benefits from death it's the idle place punishment and weaknesses oh we should talk about the idle place 
because we've we've one of the things we've been doing with the houses is like okay just generally speaking how much juice does a planet in that house have right yes mm -hmm. and so the eighth is uh, unanimously the worst of the succeeding houses yeah uh, yes. compared to like second fifth and eighth, and eleventh yeah. yeah the and so the idol is planets in the eighth you know, if you're if they have a big job like ruling the first or ruling the tenth or whatever, a lot of times there's a lack of energy. Mm -hmm. And if, if you think about the time of day when the sun is in the eighth house, it's not quite sunset, but it's like the like the two hours leading up to sunset. And there's generally like a oh, I'm kind of tired of doing all that. There's an energy lull during that part of the day. That's true. Actually, it's like oh, I get off in an hour. Yeah, it's like right? the last hour of the workday. Yeah, it's the thing. least productive hour of the workday. Yeah, and so there's like an energetic hmm um, that's often present Dropping there. Dropping down. Yeah. Right, and also, uh, all right. What were we gonna say, Kelly? Yeah, I mean the the. I'm just looking up here. Yeah, the idea of um, the fear and anxiety that goes with the loss and the decay and the death. Um, with oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where you can get some of these uh, I would, I would psychological say components. Fear of loss and grief. Fear of loss, fear of grief, fear. Yeah, all of those components kind of go into the age, which I think is where we get some of that. Yeah, I would agree. Psychological totally. territory. Yeah, I, I would say 12th is stuff that's kind of just you. The eighth is those things which are relational. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did want to say one of the things I just realized that you almost went into Austin was the third or the eighth is traditionally they tended to treat it as like the third worst of the bad houses. Yes. Usually yeah. it's like the twelfth is the worst because it both doesn't aspect the ascendant and it's a cadent house and it only has a weak inferior sextile with the tenth or the midheaven. Yeah. The sixth is the next worst after that because it's also cadent. Doesn't aspect the ascendant, but it is configured by a superior trine to the midheaven. So yeah. it's a little bit better than the 12th. And then we have the eighth as the next one in terms of the bad houses after that, because it doesn't aspect the ascendant. It does have a superior sextile in the midheaven, and it's also a succeedant place. So that's sort of the breakdown also in terms of um, places, in terms of, and we when we say good and bad, what we mean is like those that are subjectively more positive or negative for the native mm. and in terms of that which can help them uh, directly or that which is helpful or supportive to them directly versus that which is not. Mm -hmm. um, there is a way though that eighth house placements can be more helpful or the more constructive side of the eighth house tends to come out. And I see that when planets in the eighth are configured, um, especially by a close sextile within three degrees to the degree of the midheaven yeah. or to planets that are in the 10th whole sign house that the planets in the eighth house can tend to work a little bit more productively uh, in those instances than they might otherwise. Absolutely. And here's an example for you of that. Um, Maya Angelou's chart, who mm. has a Taurus midheaven with Venus conjunct Mercury and Pisces in the eighth house okay. and by degree sextile to the MC. Um, so someone who is known for her writing, her evocative work, her poetry, uh, but she had the book, her, um, first sort of autobiography is called I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And we've got the Venus Mercury is almost like the bird or the singing, but the mm -hmm. caging component is the eighth house, if you like. Mm -hmm. And so she's sort of speaking to, you know, the cage feeling that, you know, women of her color and her generation, you know, had experienced, if you like. But we see that coming out in terms of professional success because of the link to the MC. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So other things I want to mention before we wrap up the eighth house. One, um, I knew somebody that had a really well-placed eighth house, like Jupiter and the lot of fortune there in Pisces, although it was in a night chart, but he just had, like, had a way of manifesting like money from other people in this really bizarre mm -hmm. oh, manner. Jupiter in the eighth, you said? Also, yeah. So yeah. that also rules the 11th, which is going to pull that in, which is very helpful. Fifth. Sorry, fifth. Yeah. Wrong but, square. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I mean, you're all right. And I think there's also like a sextile with Venus that was supportive and it wasn't afflicted by Saturn. So um, just especially through like donations, like people would just like donate money to this guy very regularly and very frequently for like yeah. many, many years. And he got by doing that. So it's something you can sometimes see with people, people that have favorable eighth house placements. Another thing is you guys mentioned at one point that idea of like, what is your love language? And you talked about Mercury and words if they have Mercury yeah. in the seventh. Yeah. Um, but isn't like another one of them I see with eighth house people sometimes, especially with benefics there is like their love language can be like giving gifts. Yes, or, that is one of the love languages. That is one of them? Yes. Okay. I think it, like, gifts, I think it's just called gifts or gift. There's, there's a special term. But okay. yeah, there is a gift component. Well, if that yeah. one exists as like a category, then I definitely would put that uh, somewhere in the vicinity of like the eighth house, just yeah. in terms of like giving things to other people, is it almost as a sign of affection in some way? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. One, uh, the eighth house shows up in relationships. It's mm -hmm. it's less important than the seventh, but I would never ignore planets in the eighth if I were focusing on relationship astrology for someone. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely. Yeah. Um, any other? Did you think of any other miscellaneous eighth house significations that you wanted to throw in, Kelly? No, I feel like we've covered all the ones that I would normally use. Okay. I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, so here's the significations of the ninth house. And were we going to do this? Were we going to pause? No, we're going to- After the ninth. After, after Okay, got yeah. it. All right. So here's the diagram. It shows the ninth house and its significations. Traditionally in ancient Hellenistic astrology, the name of the ninth house was that it's the place of God, and that is opposite to the third house, which is the place of the goddess. The sun is said to have its joy or to rejoice in the ninth house. Uh, the ninth is a cadent house, but it's configured to the rising sign through a superior trine. So despite being cadent, it's still treated as one of the good houses. Traditionally and in general, I think a pretty stable set of significations for the ninth house is travel, especially foreign or long distance travel, uh, foreign things like foreign people or foreign places, uh, education, especially higher education, and also religion or pretty much all matters connected with religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those are the significations that I have on the poster for the ninth house. What do you guys think? Any like core ones that I'm missing there, or ones because sometimes like picking a single word very is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's very stressful, <laughs> especially when just one of those has like a few different like permutations that are all very important. Like I put foreign things, yeah, but usually you otherwise might put like foreigners or foreign places there or foreign travel. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the key with a diagram like that is that each word is like a, it's a drop down arrow, like a drop down box kind of thing. Like if you think, okay, if we took God or religion, we could, you oh. know, go on each of those topics for a number of minutes, just uh, yeah. expanding. Divination and magic. Divination yeah, and magic. So both. and astrology, but that comes in under the God wisdom yeah. piece. Yeah. Well, I think it's worth stating explicitly. There are a lot of people who would who will talk about God for their entire life without ever mentioning astrology. That's true. <laughs> Um, and you see uh, in Firmicus, there's a very clear planets in the ninth. It's like, oh, you're going to do this at the temple. Yes. Ah, uh, you're going to be at Soothsayer. Ah, uh, you'll foretell things by the stars. Ah, uh, you'd make a great exorcist. Yes. It's all, it's all temple jobs. Well, and that's like, so this is where when you come to understand the, the sun having its joy in the ninth and then knowing that there are ideas around the sun being the source of wisdom or the source of kind of divinity mm -hmm. that- the ninth house is like where that divine or reveal knowledge or wisdom kind of pours into your chart and your life. So the more you have going on around the ninth house or the more significant planets in your chart that are connected to the ninth, the more temple type work you're going to do of some iteration or another. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's a hugely important thing. It's where like philosophy in the ninth comes from, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the idea of the love of knowledge and the love of ideas and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and let me read Valens' significations again from the second century, just because it's illustrative because it's so early. And while mm. some of his significations are weird or they're ones that didn't continue to be used in the tradition, there's some where seeing them go back that far, like almost 2,000 years now, is sometimes really helpful. Uh, but he says, ninth house, friendship, travel, benefits from foreign things. Mm. It's the place of God, king, sovereign, astrology oracular decrees, the appearance of gods, divination, mystical or occult matters, yeah. fellowship, <clears throat> yeah, and that's last signification, fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like some of those are a little odd from a more modern or a later traditional standpoint, but some of them seeing there like uh, travel or Austin, you mentioned divination. It's interesting that he puts mystical or occult matters in the ninth. I would love to know what the pre-translated words are because occult is an English term that is very tied into that stuff being illegal and therefore you can't see it. That like that's yeah. a couple hundred years old. Yeah. I'd be curious what the um what the um, actual original Greek was it Greek? Yeah, it's yeah. from Greek. I actually have yeah. like a long footnote. Uh, uh, and also other languages. An obno tend obnoxious long footnote. Okay, I'll still get to read that in the yeah, break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, other languages tend to have more def better words than just like, oh, it's a cult. Yes. I mean, it looks like it's um, in the footnote. It says, mustakon e apocryphon. So it means like hidden. Okay. That which is hidden or that oh, was, so which is obscure. so it is explicitly about obscured. A cult. Yeah. Occult, because occult, you know, occultation right. astronomically is like when something moves in front of another thing and obscures it or hides it. But that's where we get the word occult from, because it's those matters that are mm -hmm. hidden or secret, but also become uh, sort of uh, private or part of the mystery traditions. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. So that makes sense, right? What goes on in mystery school? Yeah. First, yeah. the first rule of what goes on in Mystery Club. Although yes. I do want to say that he also has some similar significations with the fourth house as one of the other like hidden places. Mm -hmm. So again, Which is, it's a different kind of obscuration. Yeah. The darkness piece. Well, so one thing I'll actually let me give that really quickly. Oh, so yeah. fourth house, because I should have just been doing it all, it just yeah, would have taken like a lot of time. <laughs> but he says fourth house, reputation, father, children, one's own woman, and elder persons. 
action, one city, home, property, dwellings, the results of actions, changes of place, dangers, death, confinement, and secret matters. So secret matters is the one that I was thinking of that he throws in there. In the fourth. But it's, I, th it, yeah, it's just a similar sort of variation in wording in the Greek. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, um, so one thing I'd like to throw in for the ninth, because I think it's, it's nice because it ties in several of the key significations, is the idea of the pilgrimage. Oh, totally. Okay. Right, because a pilgrimage <laughs> is usually done to a temple, which is a ninth house location. Yes. That is far away. Um, for um, religious or spiritual reasons. And it's special. It's not something you're going to do. If you did it once a year, that would be unusual. Yeah. It's yeah. like a one-off kind of once in a lifetime -y. Right. And we were talking about third versus ninth. Yeah. The right? routine versus the special. Right. The like, the do you do something every new moon and full moon versus like, okay, every five years we do the pilgrimage. Yeah. Yes. So I completely agree. And then a slightly maybe more modernized version of a direct pilgrimage is when people take these once in a lifetime holidays, you know, whether you go to Machu Picchu and maybe you're mm -hmm. going for spiritual, but it might just be that you've always wanted to take a cruise through the Norwegian fjords and you, you save up and that becomes this one, one big thing that you do one time in your life. That's a, a ninth housey type experience. Yeah. And I would also for language that, um, um, contemporary people are probably, would probably be more comfortable with than pilgrimage is like going on a journey, a journey, or a quest, yeah, quest, right, yep. Um, but it's the you know it's uh it's the travel with meaning. That's the huge way of putting the ninth house together, I think, in its its most uplifting sense. Yeah, and if you're on the quest for truth, which is a very ninth house activity, you usually don't get to stay at home. No, the whole you cannot. Time. You usually I mean, have to you... like. The find the journey. person who yes. knows something or go and find the book or yeah you and know, then the find... book tells you to go somewhere else and then you have to go yeah yeah the, the whole thing you don't get that that story of seeking what's really going on or the or the truth without movement no and I think that's really key because you know this gets into some big philosophical ideas but about how our minds and our perspectives change when we go into environments that are different or unfamiliar to us mm -hmm. uh, because you can't think in a bigger, newer way if you're just looking at the same thing or talking to the same people every day. And that's the, the huge distinction between third house versus ninth house is. Yeah. And that's one of the yeah. main overlying archetypes, underlying archetypes or overarching archetypes of the ninth is just that which is foreign. Yeah. Anything that's different, unfamiliar. Yeah. And, and then anything overseas, like international, do people live overseas? Do you have like, you know, are you going to live in a country, not your own? Are you attracted to people? We talked about that with the seventh and ninth. You know, it's anything. But it, and then when you get ninth, tenth house crossover, you get people who do uh, perhaps international business, for instance, mm -hmm. or you get the academic or people side. People who are astrologers. People who are astrologers. Like people for who sure. have the ruler of the tenth and the ninth. <laughs> Is that you? Yeah. I've got to think about that. Um, ruler of the tenth. Yeah. Oh, ruler of the tenth and the ninth is one of my favorite things. Yeah. But you could be an astrologer. But you could also be someone who worked in the, the academic um, teaching, publishing. There's a, there's a bunch of lovely crossovers there. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I want to go back um, conceptually to the reason why the ninth house indicates travel, because also partially explains why the third house does, and it has to do with the conceptualization of what a cadent house actually is and mm -hmm. what's happening, what it symbolizes astronomically. So um, all of the angular, if if you take a chart 
like let's assume that this is a chart and it shows the 12 houses of the chart. Um, all of the angular houses show planets that are present at the angles, and there's a sense with angular planets of fixidity or of, of permanence, mm -hmm. of, especially in mm -hmm. terms of in a temporal sense, it's like that which is present at the present moment in time, like the present, let's say. The four angles indicate the present. The here and now. And what's interesting about cadent planets, like let's say planets in the fourth house. So the fourth house and then the third house is the cadent house that goes along with the fourth. fourth. So planets in the third, they are moving away from uh, or departing, they're traveling away from where they just were in the fourth. Yeah. So in the, if the fourth house being the lowest part of the chart that's under the earth represents the home and the foundation, then the third house being a cadent house is like leaving home. Mm -hmm. The planets are literally leaving home. And I think yeah. that's how you originally got some of the significations of like short distance travel being associated with the third house. Yeah, mm -hmm. got to leave the house, got to run some errands. Yeah. Right. So contrast to that with um, if the fourth house is home and is like you being in your own city, then the opposite to that is the 10th house. And so then the 10th house is a fixed angular house and indicating what is present. And then the ninth house is again cadent and it's traveling away from there. It's moving away from the angle mm. and therefore the planets in the ninth are sort of like going out on a journey or setting out on a journey. But it's the opposite end or the other side of the coin from the third house where it's not a short distance journey that's just in your own local neighborhood. Mm. This is a, a long distance journey that's going um, abroad or going elsewhere and going into like unfamiliar or foreign lands in some sense. Yeah, that's perfect. It's beautiful. And I think the idea of like the sun and moon joys come in just a tiny bit there with the moon in the third is that we're going away from the fourth, but we're just doing it in a sort of a short or sort of repetitive kind of way, whereas the sun is more sustained. So if we're going away, we're going away. We're going maybe further away. We're going to be away for a longer period of time. Right. Because the moon just takes a month to she do a complete circle yeah. through the zodiac, but the sun takes an entire year to go all the way around the zodiac or yeah. all the way, let's say, alternatively all the way through the, houses through the houses by transit. Yeah. And so one way to yeah. think about that. So going away from the house is the third. So going away from your profession is the ninth, right? You're like, oh, this is what I do for a living. But like, what's the meaning of life? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? It's that kind of journey. Yeah. Right? And so that connects to one of the practical things that I find myself using the ninth for in consultations, which is ninth house stuff um, is about what direction a person's going in life. It's not exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Um, because just as by diurnal motion, we're going from the 10th to the ninth by the transit motion, we go from the ninth to the 10th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so with transits and perfections, you see people in the ninth house year figuring out what direction to head? Like, mm. you know what? I feel really good about moving in this direction. Yeah, this is I think I want to do more me. writing next year. Yeah. Um, and then the net, you know, when the when the transit moves or the perfection moves to the tenth, it's like, and now you're doing it. Yeah. But you like set the rationale. You set like, oh, what's meaningful? What's the wise thing to do? Yeah. And then you do it. 
Yeah. Totally. And you do in the ninth house triggers, whether it's perfection or a transit, there has to be a little bit of exploring. There has to be the sense of the questioning. And that can feel, to go back to your point, Chris, around the moving away cadency, can feel quite destabilizing to all of a sudden question things that you have either not thought about before or that you've previously held to be true because that will kind of cause a little bit of um, shaking around the foundation. Right. Sure. It's a Caden house. Yeah. It's a problem solving house. Yeah. Like yeah. what's the right thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? What's, you know, what's the true, what's, you know, what's the meaning of things? Yeah. Like, where am I going to get that sunlight? It's a, in many ways, it's a more profitable problem to work on or to be tasked to work on than sixth house stuff. Well, You're it's like, more oh, fulfilling. Oh, I'm for sick. Sure. I got to figure this out. Versus, yeah. like, you get a positive if you solve the ninth, whereas you get to be, you get back to neutral. You get back to zero. If you, yeah, <laughs> if, if you, you solve the, the six. Yeah. And so the ninth is, um, in I think every writer's uh, work, the most positive of the Caden houses. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it also has this sense. Talking about the motion you were mentioning, Austin, of planets transiting through, where by transit they have to go through the ninth before they get to the tenth. Um, it has some sense of being preparatory or being a precursor. And I think this is part of it's it's preparatory or precursor for what you get in the 10th, which is ultimately your career. And I think this is partially where um, one of the major significations comes from with the ninth, which is education and mm -hmm. especially like higher education or college yeah. to the extent of of whatever the preparation or the educational preparation you need to do in order to get to what you want to then accomplish in the 10th. Professionally, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, so on on this note, I would add, or on this point, I would add that um, we grew up in a culture which um, sort of told us a mostly false story that what you're going to do for a living is going to be super meaningful. And if it's not super duper meaningful- Then you shouldn't then, do it or it's then wrong. You're, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, so that's true for some lives and some people, but not for a for lot everyone. of people, like m that deeper meaning on a religious or philosophical level comes from activities that aren't work. Yes. You know, if you have the rulers of the, the 10th and 9th entangled, then you should follow that advice. Like yes. it's, you're not going to be happy unless those two are intimately connected. Yeah. If they have nothing to do with each other, then like two separate your things. spiritual stuff and your work stuff are going to be different, different and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. That's something I often will have a conversation with clients around is, you know, this is what it looks like you're doing with work, but this is perhaps where the meaning comes from and the two are not always the same. Yeah. And yeah. even if they are entangled, you still have – it's okay for them to be different. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then you mentioned education, Chris, and I think the educational environment, um, whether it is you doing a period of study, if it's triggered by a timing factor, but if we're looking at the natal context, it may be someone who becomes a teacher in a school or a university or is in publishing or could be in training and development and facilitation, something where you're looking to kind of bring in that. I think of the ninth house as such a solar house from the lighting people up with ideas or wisdom and you being in that environment in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Education, university professors, people that teach for a living. Yeah. Um, people that are like gurus or philosophical, uh, like spiritual thought teachers. leaders, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Public um, intellectuals. Public, yeah. People who've got up that high profile. Uh, and so, truth is really 
a key thing here. It right? is. Because yeah. yeah. all of those people are supposed to be good at some kind of truth. Yeah. Truth in the quest for meaning and like what is the reason we're all here and broader question, broader yeah. questions in general or overarching like life questions like that. Yeah. yeah or, but even an economics professor is supposed to be able to teach you things that are true about economics. Yeah. Right. It, it's not just the intro. That's true. Like yeah. you're like diving through the reams of statistical stuff and the different models in search of truth. Yes. And even if, you know, so even for those that aren't connected with meaning, which is a very important core signification of the ninth. It's still truth. Yes. And truth is in and of itself meaningful. Even if it's just the truth of how an industry works, it's yes. still like the quest for truth. Absolutely. And these are the people, the teachers are the people who've done the quest for truth successfully, hopefully. That's what they're supposed to be. In theory, yes. Right? And, and remember just one thing. Yeah, yeah, um, The university system literally grew out of religious institutions. Yes. It's basically... They're mutated monastery monasteries. Yeah, which is beautiful. And yeah. so, and just you know, in Firmicus, for example, ninth house is just stuff you do at the temple. Yes, right. Yeah. Whether you work there or yeah, it's the setting of the the temple space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so religion. Uh, those who are religious and all things religious are often connected with the ninth house. One of the things that I always find funny, though, in connection with that is. That doesn't just include those who are quote unquote religious, but sometimes there are placements where you can see those who are opposed to religion, oh, yeah. like like atheism showing up in the ninth house mm -hmm. or people that are heavily involved in skepticism. Like mm -hmm. there's like a couple of major like astrology skeptics. It's really funny that I know that have like Saturn and a night chart in the ninth house yeah. and have like dedicated themselves to like, you know, proving that astrology is false, which I always think is really funny because it's like the astrology itself is showing that they would. Oh, they so, would you know, do that. You, you, <laughs> you hate divination. You yeah. have an out of sex Saturn in the ninth. In right. the ninth, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, um, uh, the people who favor a rational religion, it's Mercury in the ninth, right? Well, that's, yeah. People, people who like, have a, like, who connect to other things through the aesthetic, like that's Venus there. Yes. You know, it's at a um, uh, North Node or Rahu in the ninth is in Vedic, like the classic sign uh, or is the classic indicator for someone who is very doubtful, skeptic, skeptical, hates being in fucking church. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, Don't tell me you. what's meaningful. Yeah. Sure. And, I, and I want to say, and I want to be quick to say, like, not not I'm not passing like a value judgment on that. You don't necessarily have to pass value judgment on any of that, but it's just that not, placements in the ninth house can show somebody's orientation towards things like belief or religion or even science or things like that. And sometimes a posture that they'll tend to adopt towards those things or gravitate towards in one context or another. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. So I have sun and Mars in the ninth. Um, so sun's kind of natural there, but Mars is like uh, I'm interested in, you know, mystical or religious things that can do something. Yes. I'm like, yeah, but so there are all these ideas about astrology, but does it work? Yes. And I the, the I feel the same way. My interest in magic is the same. Yes. It's like these are hypotheses about the truth of the way that reality operates. Well, how do they work? Yeah. Right. And that that very classical Mars. And another funny yeah. one is is sometimes your interest in um, like martial arts or things that also like are athletic activities, but also have some overarching like philosophical or, or metaphysical yeah. basis. As An well. attempt yeah. to elevate um, punching people in the face to, <laughs> to 
to, right. a, to a temple activity. <laughs> to exactly. make it mystical. <laughs> right. And the n- sort of yeah. natural placement of that is certain martial traditions were cultivated in monasteries. Yes. Right. right. And so I studied several of those. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts that that sparks for you, Kelly, in terms of Ninth House? No, we talked about the activities. education and teaching. We talked about travel. And again, you know, the travel can show up in a variety of ways. Because some people will be like, well, I don't like to travel. And then they tell you that they've on to, they're on their third degree or something. I'm like, so we're doing mental travel rather than physical travel here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a thing too. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the three PhDs, the eternal student yeah. type person. Type person. Yeah. Or the person that, that maybe grows up in a heavy religious context or finds religion at some point in their life. Let's say they have a major transit through the mm-hmm. ninth house and all of a sudden they go through a religious conversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a classic is Uranus transiting the ninth. People almost if there's any if there if it if it aspects the ruler of the ninth or if it hits a planet that's in the ninth, the person almost always has a worldview shift. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think these are all yeah, what you believe in, the types of things that you're interested in from a religious type perspective, um, and then how you go about honoring that system or whatever it is that you happen to be oriented towards. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's one it's, of my favorite houses. It's very like, <laughs> what What do you think is true and then what yeah. do you do based on what you think is true? Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, or we can go classic philosophy. How do you, what is your method for ascertaining the truth? What is then true according to that method? And then based on what's true, what do you do about that? Yeah. Right. Epistemology, metaphysics, and then ethics. Yeah. And even though we did this at the beginning, I just want to touch on it again really quickly because that's often one of the most literal ways we're talking about like broader meaning and metaphorical ways the ideas of belief and religion and what you think manifest but often one of the most literal forms of ninth house thing is just, is just somebody that is from a foreign country or something that is it's, foreign or yeah. a foreign culture to you yeah and um different exposures or interactions with that in your life and how sometimes that can give you a different perspective on things absolutely um, yeah yeah but in very literal ways so that sometimes manifests like ruler of the fourth and the ninth um, going to live abroad. Yeah. Uh, ruler. I had a, I had one example. I think I used in my book, which is like ruler. They had ruler of the fifth and the ninth, and one of their kids. As soon as he turned eighteen, he had a fascination with like foreign this foreign country, and he moved there immediately and has yeah. lived the rest of his adult life moved there. Away. Yeah. Although it's funny because then her other kid grew up in a largely non-religious household, but as soon as she grew up, she ended up getting interested in this specific religious denomination and then like moved across the country and converted to it and then lives in a religious community. Oh, that's funny. That's so interesting. So you've got either side, if you like, different aspects of the ninth coming through with both children. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, you know, many things we can learn from that in terms of the different multivalent ways that each of the houses have these multivalent meanings, Mm -hmm. different manifestations that can manifest at different points in the native's life or in different ways. It doesn't always have to go one way or another. I mean, there's lots of things. Yeah. Um, what else? We've talked about ruler of the seventh and the ninth, like mm-hmm. sometimes uh, getting married to a f- partner who's from a foreign country or in a foreign country or a partner who's into ninth house activities. Yeah. I've seen, I know one, I know one example I use of they had the ruler of, I think the ninth and the seventh or the seventh and the ninth. And it was their partner who got them into astrology and like imported astrology into their oh, life. Fantastic. And then as a yeah. result of that, the the native ended up finding his life's work was 
connected with astrology, but he would never would have gotten into it if his partner hadn't first for like a decade before he did. Yeah, yeah perfect. Brought that I think Firmicus says that with Venus in the ninth, um, a man will marry the daughter of a high priest of a temple. Right. Okay. Yes, right. We're still getting the temple here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Right. Like if you if you are interested in marrying women, that's the preacher's daughter configuration. Yes, the preacher's daughter. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, one ninth house example on the work front that comes to mind is Barbara Walters, mm. who has a Cancer MC with the Moon in the ninth in Gemini, with Jupiter, um, and so she does ninth house type things of a Gemini nature for her career because she was a broadcaster and a journalist. Uh, but she did that, you know, she had a worldwide profile. She didn't just do it. She wasn't a, a broadcaster on the local news and stayed there. We had the the kind of global reach, which you can get. Right. Yeah, with the ninth as well. And that, I would say that um, as like a secondary or tertiary thing, ninth house is generally good for, uh, it's very visible mm-hmm. and that it can contribute to reputation and visibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You know, like in terms of like how prominent is this person? What are they known for? Yeah, how are they It would be something I would consider after a couple other things, but I would consider it. It would be on the list. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, And I think one of you mentioned this in passing, but publishing is a modern signification with the ninth house, but I think that is one that works out. I think I was in a ninth house perfection year when I finally published my book after 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, And I would say publishing more singular works, like regular publishing, like – like a Period. horoscope column, yeah, you know, is going to be, third. it's going to tend, you're going to tend to find that more in the third. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, or the like, one-off book type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other major significations of the ninth house that we've completely forgotten or spaced out before we move on to the 10th? Well, think- magic. You mentioned it, though, didn't yeah, you? Magic yeah, magic is, you know, temple science. Temple, yeah, temple, and astrology. Call it temple yeah. science. Temple science. <laughs> I like temple science. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Maybe that's good. I think so. Cool. Yeah. All right. So let's transition into talking about the next house, which is the 10th house. Uh, so the 10th house is known as the Midheaven. That's just generally the name that is always, or that's the name that it was called in Hellenistic astrology. Uh, technically, there's a little difference there because sometimes in modern astrology, it's only the degree of the MC or the meridian that's called the Midheaven. But in Hellenistic astrology, they had a tendency to call the entire 10th house the Midheaven. Uh, in terms of significations, the 10th is an angular house. It's one of the most powerful angular houses between the 1st and the 10th. In terms of significations, it signifies career, actions, reputation, and the native's public life as opposed to the 4th house, which is more about their private life. So the 10th is the most public part of the chart, and so we tend to get most of the sort of themes surrounding being in public and and visibility when it comes to this house. All right. uh, So where should we start with the 10th house? Well, the thing that comes up most often is profession. Right. Career, profession or career occupation. Yeah. And I like occupation in that it's what you're occupied with. It's what you're doing in the world. Mm. Yeah. And what sometimes that looks like a profession and sometimes it looks like other things, but it's still the question of like, what are you doing in the context of the world? Yeah, I like that you said that, what you're doing, because in Greek, the mm. term they use over and over again is proxis for mm. the 10th house, which just means action, Yeah, but it can also mean more broadly what you do. And 
when they use proxis in a 10th house context, they tend to mean occupation, like what you occupy your time doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does it, uh, does it have the quality of enactment? Yeah. Right. Which in, uh, suggests that there's something to be enacted when uh, praxis is used in like a philosophical context. It's usually putting an idea into action. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that that correlates nicely with the often intentional character of 10th house activity. It's not just doing the dishes because you have to. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's action in the physical world, but it's usually because you're, tr it's very often because you're trying to do a thing, right? Yeah, Which you're is, trying to achieve something or get to somewhere. Right, like a profession um, is an intentional thing. Mm. Achievement, I like that keyword, Kelly. That's a really good keyword mm. for the 10th house, the idea of that which you you achieve. Yeah, there is a real sense of, and I, I like the, the, is it, I always say the, I want to say praxis. Praxis, yeah. Praxis, yeah. I have, actually I have no idea. I shouldn't be okay. cracking anyone's <laughs> pronunciation. Like, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, but it is, it's that that energy of of acting out in the world. I like that word enactment, actually. Yeah, I was thinking but it's very of, deliberate. You're right. Yeah, I was thinking of Praxedike, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, 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 the deity associated with one of the decans. And Praxedike, so Dike is justice. Mm -hmm. Praxedike is the enactment of justice. Mm. And so it's that's the, the goddess of passing the sentence, right? right. Um, which can be execution or whatever. Mm. Um, but the, the praxis, like it's the enactment. The enactment of it, yeah. Right, because we're, we're doing stuff in the 10th, but... Um, you know, it's, uh, we're enacting something. It's not, um, the, you know, in terms of the houses and just the general topic in astrology of, is this something you just kind of have to do, or is it something that you've chosen to do or is in accord with what you're trying to do? Mm. The 10th very often is, uh, there's more intentionality there. It's not always hundred percent intentional, but there's more intentionality there. Mm. Um, somebody who's building a career or a body of work or whatever, we see that in the tenth more than any other house. Yeah, and there is a sense of you're making choices. You know, you may not necessarily be doing work that is your love or your passion or your dream, but you you do go to an interview or you choose to accept the job. There is a real sense of engagement with that process. So I think that speaks to the level of it, it's deliberate, if you like. Uh, but it is, it's very much about work. It's about profession. What are you, how are you kind of known in the public sphere, basically, by what mm -hmm. titles or what industry, mm -hmm. you know, are you associated with, essentially? Right. Yeah. Your, your role, reputation. Yeah. Role, role yeah. and rank. Role, rank, reputation, all 10th house. Yeah. So we talked about earlier about how the second house uh, can, or the first house can be about your appearance and your character and how you come off to people in person. But sometimes if you're not meeting somebody in person, what you're seeing sometimes is their 10th house in terms of their public reputation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And just astronomically, we should touch base really briefly on what the 10th house is when we're looking at it from an astronomical standpoint, because that keyword of midheaven, uh, we've got dual meanings of being sort of in the middle of the sky and therefore being very visible as a result of that. And the idea is that like the sun or the planets, if they're right in the middle of the sky or at their most prominent or their most visible. And so similarly, the native, this is the part of the chart where they're at their most prominent or most visible. Mm. Um, when you're talking about the quadrant midheaven or the meridian midheaven, this is also the point where planets reach their highest elevation. So sort of like reaching the, another keyword is like the acme of something. 
like the highest point or the highest, highest point. Yeah, the peak. Right. Yeah, the and peak, right. Yeah. The highest is the most visible. Yes. Right. Yeah. The visibility is really key here with the uh, symbolism of the sun or the planets being at their peak. And yeah, that idea of being seen, that what happens in and around the 10th house is not secret. It's not hidden. It's not unknown. It is very <sighs> obvious and very public. Yeah. Um, and there's also notions of like with whole sign houses, for example, the 10th whole sign house is the culminating sign that has the superior square over the ascendant. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you can get ideas of like superiority or superiors or people that are above you or outrank you in some sense, mm -hmm. as well as your own, what is your own rank in society? Well, in your own rank uh, or position, I think position and role might be a more modern way of thinking about it puts demands on you where you have to do this because it's your station or mm. it's mm. your job. Um, if we kind of go back to a feudal model, like if you're a duchess uh, or a duke, you have certain responsibilities that um, it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Like that's your that's your role. That's your role. Right. And yeah. that's the 10th dominating the first. Yeah. Right. And I do think that there is like this inherent tension between the 10th and the first house just by the square relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. So there there can be that sense of being at odds within yourself between who you are and what is required of the work that you have to do mm. in the world. So I think that's an interesting piece Definitely. to keep in mind as well. Yeah. And that's not something, I mean, I guess it came up a little bit when we talked about the seventh house, but we haven't touched on that a lot or we haven't repeated no. a lot, but just that notion of like what is the aspect of the configuration that the house has with the rising sign mm -hmm. and sometimes dictating especially in a whole sign house context, like part of the reason why we're drawing certain conclusions about certain houses and what their meaning is relative to the native. Yeah. And to add to that, um, you know, if you have really good things happen in the 10th, for example, someone can be uh, rewarded and honored significantly, even if they're kind of a shithead. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, benefics or useful configurations that are in the 10th are very powerful. Yes. And a person can rise to a high station, even if their their character isn't very good or they're just not very healthy or, you know, any of the negative. You can have a heart, a not very, you can have not very good uh, first house significations. But if the 10th is strong, you know, uh, honored and elevated regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that brings up a really good point that is something I see echoed both in modern especially, but also in ancient astrology that hard aspects are not always bad, but they're always powerful. Mm -hmm. That hard aspects are powerful and they can be very powerful for good or powerful for bad. And it partially depends on what planets specifically are involved. But that becomes relevant when we're talking about the angular houses of, you know, four seven and ten mm -hmm. because they share those hard aspects with the rising sign of the ascendant of the square or the opposition yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah but i like i do also like the rewards and honors or recognition because i think particularly when the 10th house is activated for timing purposes and you know more with you know sun jupiter type stuff but we get those indications of honors or glory or success whether it's promotion or acknowledgement of some kind. Yeah. And like you said earlier, achievement is yeah. a really good word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good one because like if you look at the diagram and think of the planets where in the diurnal rotation, they start out in the first and the rising sign, but then they rise and they sort of climb mm -hmm. their way upwards. They're really climbing slowly upwards first through the 12th, then they get to the 11th, and then eventually 
at the tenth, you reach the the sort of high point before the circle pivots and turns, and they begin declining down through the ninth, and then the eighth, and then the seventh.、Mm-hmm. So this idea of achievement being the the climb upwards that eventually you eventually get to the highest point of what you set out to achieve or whatever you had your sights set on that you eventually get to ideally. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important because that goes into that sense of achievement and the peak is that you you aspire to go up somewhere. Right. Yeah, and we have you know more or less ability to do that depending on the signs and the planets connected with the tenth house. Sure. Yeah, and so on a very simple level, a planet that is placed in the tenth will be very visible in a person's professional life once they have a professional life. Yeah. Right. You may not see it when they're twelve. Um, but you might already be able to see it. But you know, once you see a person in their thirties or whatever, you're like, "Oh yeah, you do that for a living."、Mm-hmm. Like I have Mercury in the tenth house. Yes, I do a couple things now, but most of them involve talking. And then、uh, I would say I built a lot of my career by writing. Yes, which is also very mercurial. All very Mercury. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a good. Thing to keep in mind of the tenth is like how does the person go about achieving or getting what they want, and what kind of actions do they tend to take in order to get there, and that can、mm. be described by tenth house placements. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even the types of talent, skill, interests—you know—it varies depending on the condition of the planet and、yeah. what have you. But yeah, the the kinds of things that you would like to、uh, the in your ideal setting would form part of your career. Sure. So so it can sometimes be like skills. Or、um, like like almost like technical abilities.、Uh, yeah, whether it's it, it's a talent or a particular set of problems that you're drawn to solve, or and in a work environment. I mean, you know, Mars indications can talk about、uh, military, for instance. It's not the only、uh, indication of Mars, but it's one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so when we're talking about career, one of the things that's sometimes tricky is people want it to be very clear and specific. Like they want to come to an astrologer and have the astrologer point to their birth chart and say, "You will be this, or you will do this." Yeah. But one of the tricky things about vocational astrology of being able to try to determine a person's vocation based on their birth chart is that some of the placements, when they are there in the tenth house, or when you're looking at the ruler of the tenth house, will give you like an archetype. Uh, which will give you a range of possible manifestations of like possible career choices that would be in alignment with the symbolism of that placement,、mm-hmm. and that can be、um, on the one hand useful sometimes to narrow it down if you have no idea, but on the other hand can sometimes be frustrating if somebody comes in wanting very concrete and singular, like this is the, ma- the only thing that you're meant to do in your life.、Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that's an error in thinking. For most people, that I'm that there is one career out there for me,、mm. and I have but to find it. Yes, like that's simply not true for a、no. lot of people. No, it's、sure. some people have that, and that's going to look that's going to look different in a chart. Some people are going to do one thing for twenty years and another thing for thirty years. Yeah, you know, yeah. some people are going to try to juggle two or three things the whole time. Yeah, and other times, yeah, that you're working within a range because the the planets associated with the tenth, you know. If it, if it is Mercury, for instance, there's a, it's a there's a variety of things that you could do that would fulfill Mercury in the tenth,、mm-hmm. but you you may not do things that were more Saturnian, for instance. So you know, Mercury can do writing, could be journalism, could be broadcasting, you can do radio, you can do podcasting. There's a bunch of things that Mercury there could do,、mm-hmm. um, but it's probably not going to do the Mars things. 
maybe not the Venus things unless Venus is involved in some capacity. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, you would look at the ruler of the 10th in relationship to yeah. whatever planets in the 10th. And, um, you know, vocational astrology is just like, uh, so just like with the seventh, the seventh tells you a lot about relationships. You wouldn't only look at the seventh when you're, if you're going to do a complete portrait mm. of relational stuff. Right. Fourth yes. tells you about family. It's not the only thing that, that tells tell you, you about, about family. family. Right. Yeah. So you would never do a vocational analysis without including the tenth. Mm -hmm. um, but you would be incomplete if you only included the tenth. Yeah. Yeah. So while sometimes tenth house placements, the ruler of the tenth, can describe specific like careers or vocations or occupations that the person will gravitate towards, sometimes it can just describe like. Um, types of experiences that they will have in pursuing their vocation mm -hmm. or in pursuing a career at different points in their life. Yes, and even you know whether you would have a steady consistent career or whether you have a career that is marked by a lot of chopping and changing that type of thing. Right. Like let's yeah. say somebody has like Uranus in the 10th and maybe they have a predisposition to have like a a unique career or like a unique vocation that puts them is like outside of the mainstream or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then even just like I was thinking about mutable signs versus fixed signs, for instance, the need for variety and change versus the need for stability and consistency. Sure. Yeah. Um, what are some other things like that? Like I think of sometimes, so we've mentioned like Mercury, you mentioned Mercury, for example, and like mm -hmm. something about communications, being involved in, in career, like writing or speaking. Um, Venus could be something having to do with artistic matters mm -hmm. or the arts. Mm -hmm. Mars. You mentioned like military things potentially, but we also we could say like athletics, yeah, um, yeah. sports, engineering, yeah, mm -hmm. um, people who were like if you work at a, a steel plant, mm -hmm. um, that's going to look like so uh, uh, so pre modern. Uh, if somebody had Mars in the tenth, you would be like, oh yeah, you'll be the blacksmith, yeah, right. So that looks yes. like working in a steel foundry or you yeah. know working in a factory, working in engineer either as an engineer or. I don't know, you know, dunking the tubes in the acid bath to remove impurities, like, you know, yes. heavy, gnarly metal stuff. Right? Very intense kind of, yeah. Saturn, um, one of the ways I see Saturn a lot is um, Saturn in the 10th, you know, depending on all the things it depends on, administrative roles mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, it's your job to make sure everything's organized. Yeah, to manage it. And of course, in, in accord with Saturn in the 10th, if you're trying to make sure everybody else is sort of um, on the same page and coordinated, that means you kind of take on everybody else's problems and you get yes. to you get to experience that, that malefic quality. Mm. And that brings up another thing, Saturn sometimes uh, especially if it's having problems in the charts placed in the 10th can sometimes show on the one hand, like inhibitions in the person's actions that sometimes their initial response when presented with uh, the need to take action can be uh, inaction or like not taking action because mm -hmm. Saturn is, that's one of Saturn's significations is inaction. So sometimes in um, it just describes a person's initial impulse in taking action. So Mars might be the opposite and like uh, being too quick to take action mm -hmm. or jumping into yep. things or diving into things prematurely. Like an impulsiveness. Sure. Yeah. Um, but also I've seen charts, like I think I had a client once where they had Saturn in the 10th and somehow it was connected with like the fourth or something. And it was the person had a career and stuff. There was some career that the person wanted to pursue 
maybe it was like it was like the ruler of the ninth was in the tenth, and it was Saturn, and it was connected somehow with the parents. And the issue was that her mother, when the woman was in college, uh, dissuaded her and stopped her from um, continuing to go to school to stay in college, and she ended up regretting that in the long term and felt like that inhibited her in the long term in terms of her career. Mm-hmm. And that was something that came up at different points when Saturn was activated later in life by the Saturn cycle was just that feeling that she had been inhibited in some way through this connection between the ninth and 10th house topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes seeing connections between the ninth house of education and remembering that the ninth house as a precursor to the 10th is sometimes um, the education or training that goes into whatever you end up doing in the 10th house. Yeah. Yeah, so in your example, I guess she constantly had these doors closing f- for her professionally because she didn't have the right education or training. Yeah, just that Saturn in the tenth um, described not her career so much, but so but more that she had this feeling that she had been held back by a choice that she made early in life, mm. and that it was something that continued to be a struggle for her. So just potentially, let's say, delineation of Saturn in the tenth, where maybe you. Um, struggle in some ways with career or have even like fears surrounding matters pertaining to your career that um, becomes something that you have to work through at different points in your life mm-hmm. with greater or lesser success depending on sort of how you navigate that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other ways that I see Saturn connections to the 10th show up is for people who work for the government in some mm. capacity. Okay. Um, so something about the the structure and the stability and the the pension kind of setup that is often certainly in Australia and Canada, <laughs> where there is like a generally good like health benefits package and retirement sort of savings. But um and whether there's something in there too, because I think what you're saying there, Chris, is you know, Saturn has that inhibiting factor, so it can delay or it can deny. Um, so it may again be doing work that creates stability and security rather than you know is work that you love. Sure, or or yeah. finding one's c- career or life's work later in life. Later in life, yeah, yeah like it's the fine work out wine. Better yeah. Later. Uh, also, you know, as we've uh, said with the other houses, the the house in which the ruler of the tenth falls. Gives you a lot of information. Hugely important. Where you mentioned the um, the person who was uh, uh, an acolyte of mortuary science with right. the uh, the ruler of the tenth and the eighth. Yeah. So you know, I have the ruler of the tenth and the ninth. So you know, I do astrology. Yeah. Um, which helps refine what is Austin going to talk about if Mercury's in the tenth? Well, the ruler's in the ninth. So yes. It's going to be ninth house topics. Yeah. Right. If if it's the rulers in the second, then your job is stuff. Yeah. And money. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of some other delineations. We've talked about ruler of the tenth and the seventh, and maybe like ending up um in a career field and finding your partner there at mm-hmm. work, let's say, or working with your partner. Uh, ruler of the tenth and the fourth, and doing something working from home, yep. family delineation yeah. or yeah. family business, okay. and then ruler of the tenth and the fifth can be either working with children, yeah. but it can also be working in a creative industry as well. I think mm-hmm. Tina Turner is someone who has the ruler of the tenth and the fifth, mm. and I have a feeling I want to say it's Venus in Sagittarius, but I'm just trying to think if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it would. Yeah, Taurus 10th with Sag on the 5th. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, the legs and the dancing come in. Sure. 
<laughs> I mean, it's in some ways it's a little bit literal, but yeah, the rule of the 10th and the 5th, the children versus the creative artistic outlets. Yeah, definitely. I've, yeah. Se- I've definitely seen that um, with working with children. Yeah. And you could work with children in a variety of ways. You could be a child psychologist, you could be a teacher in a school, you could do early childhood education or childcare of some capacity. So then you have to obviously get into the nuances of the elements and the modes and the other aspects and configurations. But yeah. the house placement of the ruler of the 10th is hugely critical to giving you the complete story around career. Yeah. In the chart, I think it's like Judy Bloom's chart, who's a writes children's books, and yeah. she's like a award winning children's book author. Yeah, has the ruler of the tenth and the fifth. Although she also has a stellium of, of like four planets in the fifth. Right, it's a little complicated. Well, yeah, but then the award winning, you know, she she was writing children's book when I was a child. Okay, like she's been. If it's the Judy Bloom, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that I, like? I, I are don't you there, think God, there are a lot of yeah. famous children's writers named Judy Bloom. Yeah, I'm like it, it's yeah. She's been writing. She's long time famous. Sure, is she still alive? Yes. I, yeah, I think so. Okay, good for her. <laughs> uh, but we have a time chart for her, and she's one of my favorite examples. Lisa actually found that oh. example. She's on the gram all the time. Oh, is she? She's teaching writing or something. Okay. Um, <laughs> Other 10th house stuff, uh, ruler over the 10th and the 3rd, I've seen with somebody who teaches um, elementary school, mm-hmm. uh, ruler of the 10th. I've tenth. also seen that with write, some some people who do writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ruler of the 10th and the 11th, you might end up working with groups or with your friends mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. We could ruler of the 10th and the 6th, there was the doctor we mentioned yeah. earlier that- yeah. Uh, worked with especially like patient care and improving their experience. One of the things that's nice about doing ruler of the 10th in is that it's often pretty literal. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and again, these are, these are significations that take a while to bloom Mm -hmm. because if the 10th, if we're talking, if we're looking for a career, which is intentionally sought and built Mm -hmm. and you get into the right thing rather than just what's around, that takes time. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, In some ways, something like a health problem is easier to see because you don't have to work to get to the right health problem. No, no, no. It's like my back is sore. Okay, well, let's treat the back. (laughs) It it finds you. Yes. Whereas you have to kind of work to get the, you know, the right 10th house thing. Well, and yeah, and and by working at it, which is sort of a little bit of a play on words there, but you sometimes have to do a few jobs that are close to what you're looking for to get clarity on exactly what it is that you want. Well, right. and with multiple, um, you know, when you have m- multiple significations around the 10th, mm. um, you'll see that like in, uh, that person will probably do a couple things and they'll probably try to stick with a thing that's the good fit. Yes. But, you know, um, like I have significations for um, extremely low grade labor. Yeah. And so I did that. For a yeah, while. For a long um, time. Yeah. When and I also have significations for being an astrologer. Yeah. Um, and you know, I decided that that would be something I would stick with. That was with. a better fit with you didn't want yeah. to stay in the what yeah. was the labor part? How did you say? Uh, I said low like low, low wage, low, low wage. skill labor. L- low skill labor. Like when I did yeah. light assembly work at yeah. the factory. Yeah. <laughs> Greasing oven door hinges. <laughs> Wowzers. Right. Or yeah. I think about like James uh, Holden, who worked for a full like 40 or 50 years, had an entire career as, um, I think he was like an electrician or something like that, mm-hmm. but, and then eventually retired from it. But on, on the side, ever since college, he'd been like just translating ancient astrological texts in his spare time. And then eventually after he retired from his 
like engineering job, he decided to like publish a bunch of 30 translations or something like that over the course of the next 20 or 30 years until he eventually passed away, I think in like 2013. Yeah. So there's also sometimes a difference between sometimes what a person does for work or what they do in one phase of their life versus yeah. what they end up becoming known for or what they do in another phase of their life. Yeah. Like and worth noting, um, as with all the angular houses, um, the 10th is really strong. Any planet that's placed in the 10th mm. will have a global impact on the chart. It's mm. very, right. yeah, very potent. Yeah. Like, it's at the top, you know, when we talked about the fourth house as being like the foundation, mm -hmm. I always think of the 10th house stuff as like, it, this is just the, a made up Kelly thing, but it's like the planet that sits on the top of your head, like a crown almost. Oh, well, I was just, that's great. I was just going to say, again, if you- You won't, you won't find that in any ancient text, but right. just to give you a visual. No, no but, you, but you will. Um, if you have like a bunch of, if, if we're yep. ascertaining the rank of the native, right. any of the systems that do that, 10th house planets are going to give you a higher rank. Mm -hmm. Like if you were born a duke or a duchess, then like that changes everything, mm. right? Like you can be, you could have exactly the same character and interest, but if you were born um, a commoner, yes. right? Versus you're born like a viceroy, Right, yes. like it's, oh, no, you, a, it's a different it's life. It's a different lifestyle, different opportunities, and yeah, absolutely. So before we move on from the tenth house, um, I think it's kind of important, and I, I know it gets us a little bit uh, into the house division thing, which I don't want to dwell on too much. But we should maybe touch on since we're using whole sign houses here and our approaches, the three of us using the degree of the MC and the mm -hmm. fact that we still do that, and that is important, and that it can import. 10th house significations into whatever whole sign house it falls in. Mm -hmm. Well, and especially um, planets conjoined it. Like right. if you have a planet on the midheaven in the ninth, that planet is super important for reputation and career. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to indicate not just um, ninth house whole sign house if it's in the ninth whole sign house, but it's also going to indicate 10th house career matters. So there's a doubling up of significations. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah. it's like a roving point that can pull things into 10th house topics. Yeah. And I think that's really important just because sometimes people, when they first learn about whole sign houses, don't realize that you need to pay attention to that or need to do that. Mm. And they might reject it because they'll say, well, this planet conjunct my midheaven clearly is having some things to do in describing my career. So therefore, maybe only quadrant houses work. But if you pay attention to it and you know that you're supposed to be paying attention to the overlapping of significations that becomes an important factor in terms of judging how these different approaches work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the MC is so critical. It can't be ignored in this regard. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and also sometimes the MC falling in whole sign houses other than the 10th sign can import and tell you uh, career things that the person will gravitate towards. So it actually it's kind of helpful when that happens. Yeah, it's really helpful. It's like, oh, your MC is in the ninth, right? We just need to talk about ninth house things because the ninth house topics become relevant to the career. Yeah. So a good example of that, that one of the first discoverers or guys that helped to rediscover whole sign houses and wrote one of the first monographs on it was Rob Hand, mm -hmm. uh, the famous, you know, famous late 20th and early 21st century astrologer. And he has uh, Scorpio or his cancer rising and the uh, degree of the midheaven, even though he has um, he has Cancer rising in Aries as the tenth whole sign house, the degree of his midheaven falls in Pisces in the ninth whole sign house. Mm. So it imports tenth house career significations into the ninth house, 
And of course, he ends up making a lifelong career as an astrologer and becomes one of the most famous astrologers in modern times. Yeah. And partly because of some of the books that he's published on astrology too, if we go back to the publishing and Ninth House piece. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, Other possible combinations of that. I have my midheaven in my tenth in my eleventh whole sign house. Yep. Uh, so importing career matters over into the place of friends and the idea that perhaps friends might be involved in my career. I'm still trying to figure out how that might be the case. I don't know. It's really hard to figure that out. Yeah. It's kind of abstract. Let's yeah. keep thinking about if any <laughs> listeners have any ideas, uh, write in and let us know or let us know in the comment section below. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully I can figure out what we I'm supposed to be doing at some problem. point. Yeah. <laughs> Like you have the midheaven in the tenth. Yes. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. My uh, yeah. My chart's pretty consistent. You can put it in any house system, and it'll come out. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of uh, someone I know who has whose um, life work they were an academic and a Taoist priest. Midheaven in, mid in the ninth. Midheaven in the ninth. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Pretty. Absolutely. Pretty simple. So yeah. So and, and that's not just. It's not just a natal placement, but what's really cool and how you can verify that especially is by following transits, mm-hmm. especially outer planet transits when they start going through that other whole sign house. Like if you have the MC in the ninth whole sign house and the planet, like let's say Saturn hits the degree of that and you see both uh, the ninth house and the 10th house topics coming into play at the same time, then you can kind of validate it from a more practical or empirical standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. transits through the tenth impact your career and reputation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and transits through the sign of the MC. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say the. I would. I. I wouldn't say the whole sign of the MC. Just the degree. I, I would. I would look at. You know, maybe a couple five six degrees out from the MC, but I wouldn't. Like if somebody had the MC at twenty seven Pisces in the ninth, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be um, thinking. I, I wouldn't be looking for professional outputs if Saturn was at two degrees of Pisces. Okay. See, I think you will start seeing as soon as the planet goes into that sign, inklings of that starting to build up of both of those topics, uh, or also the same with the IC. Like if the IC falls in the third house, it'll be importing like fourth house topics into the third house. So sometimes. When you have an outer planet going through that sign, you'll see uh, matters pertaining to siblings as well as like the home and living situation coming up at that time. Yeah, I treat it as as an outpost rather than a, a whole second tenth house. Okay, got it. All right, I'm trying to think anything else, but that might be. Is that it for the tenth? It's you know like all of the um, I, we've kind of come to this point with all of the angular the houses, angular houses where yeah. they're they're powerful and they're kind of simple. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's uh, what do you do? They do right, like yeah, they're, a, they're very much the one top. Not, it's not that they're just the one topic, but it's the main thing. But it's such a big thing Huge. that it has a giant impact. Yeah, and, you know, like with like one seven four ten, right? It's the four basic questions about a person. First, yeah. I don't know what are they like. Seventh, who are they with? Fourth, yeah. where are they from? Tenth, what do they do? Yeah, and then everything else is details. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, it's worth mentioning in an electional context that over and over again, if you read the ancient electional texts, they have this system that's just based on the four angles, where mm-hmm. the first house represents you, the one initiating the action. The seventh house represents, if there's another party, the person receiving the action, uh, like in, let's say, a buyer seller relationship. Uh, the tenth house represents the action that is taken, or in some instances, like if it's a buyer seller thing, it indicates like the product. And then the fourth house represents the outcome 
or the end result of the action. Mm -hmm. So that's a really useful thing to keep in mind in electional charts, but it also gives you a framework for understanding the broader underlying um, archetypal meaning of the four angles as well. Like first house you, seventh house other, tenth house action, fourth house outcome. Outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in other electional horror contexts, like the tenth is your boss. If if you're like, how am I gonna? If I do this with my boss, yep. If I propose this, um, you would take the tenth as the indicator of the boss, and the first as the indicator of you. Yeah. Um, I was doing a, a unit on electional astrology in my year two class. And I, I, I basically said, um, you know, elect any kind of thing that you want for the next class. And so one student elected um, a prison break, <laughs> which was it was genius. It was beautiful, except um, they'd elected the ruler. The ruler of the tenth was on top of the ruler uh, of the first. And uh. so I was like, this is a beautiful plan, but the warden is going to be looking right at yeah, you. Yeah, the boss has got their um, eyes like, on you. Yeah, like yeah. everything else about it was just genius. Yeah. But uh, it, yeah, it was fun. Yes, that's a really, it's a very creative approach to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's a good exercise to like think about different things like that. And like, what would the electional chart be if you were to try to initiate this action? And what symbolically would it indicate success in that action from your standpoint versus what would indicate um, your failure and that the other party, if there's another party involved, might be the one successful in that action. Yeah. 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 All right. I think that's it for the 10th house. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, let's transition into our next house, which is the 11th house. So traditionally in ancient Hellenistic astrology, the 12th, the 11th house is known as the place of good spirit. And that is opposite to the place of good fortune, which is the fifth place. The 11th house is said to be the joy or said to be the place where Jupiter rejoices. So the 11th is traditionally associated with Jupiter. In terms of significations, pretty standard set of significations for most of the astrological tradition is friends, groups, alliances, and also hopes or wishes. Uh, the 11th house is a succeedant house, and that's actually I think going back to the very earliest strata of the tradition, that's part a large part of the reason why the 11th house signifies hopes, which is kind of like a weird, almost looks like a weird abstract signification until you look at astronomically what planets in the 11th house are doing, yes. which is they're rising up towards they're the 10th house. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're aspiring or they're reaching for something, but they're not there yet. They wish to be there and they're sort of reaching out for it in that way but they haven't quite got there yet. No, yeah. And yeah. that's, I think when you understand that, understanding that hopes and wishes part of the 11th house just kind of makes so much more sense. Otherwise, it is this weird thing that's just tucked in there and you don't know why. Right. Like, but it is, it's like you're three quarters of the way up the mountain and you're seeing where you're going and you want to get there, you're just not quite there yet. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so primarily though, in terms of like practical significations that are really useful and comes up super frequently is just the 11th house is the primary place that represents friends mm -hmm. and the role that friends and friendship plays in your life for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. I also extend that to colleagues. Sure. Um, you know, the people that you're in the same group as, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and I, like when we go to an astrology conference, um, you know, we, we're, we're in our 11th house yes, and we're like friends with some people and good friends with other people and colleagues with other people, yeah. but they're still all in the 11th. Yeah. 
Um, and so the 11th um, is both relational, right, as a trine to the seventh, um, but it, it is also because it's pretty high in the sky, it's reputational. Um, planets in the 11th will definitely affect the way that people think about you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for better or for worse. Uh, and then what you can do based on that reputation. Yeah, so affecting your reputation, uh, friends, groups. Uh, groups isn't like a traditional signification in that like Valens has friends and alliances is pretty traditional, but groups is more of a modern one. But it definitely comes up like when you see like a career significator placed in the 11th house, like working with groups or large organizations yeah. can often be like a common manifestation of that. Yeah, community projects, that type of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, like like projects where people are working together for some larger purpose yeah, or some that's, social that's purpose. Exactly. Yeah. It is to sort of contribute um, to the group in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like social services type of thing right. come up there. Um, so the 11th house can also have to deal with not just physically or literally like things with friends, but also a person's attitude towards friends or mm. towards friendship. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you hear people, I, I know one astrologer years ago said to me, I've got the South Node in the 11th house. I don't like going to conferences type of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. I know so somebody that had like the Saturn in the 11th and had a, like a fear of like social things. And he didn't yeah. have that many friendships because he feared like putting himself in social situations and actively avoided it. Yeah. Yeah. But then had a major Saturn transit at one point, like a Saturn return. And that was part of that transit was like pushing himself to sort of push through that. To do that more. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously you have like the friendlier planets, if you like, Venus, the moon, the sun, potentially that are going to be more warm or enjoying the the social group conference type environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or let's say another one could be uh, having benefics there like Venus and Jupiter and having it very well situated and having um, benefits from friends. Like sometimes like getting a leg up in your career as a result of your buddy who helps you out, for example, or yeah. uh, something like that. Yeah. Having well-connected individuals or having almost like a benefactor who might speak on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also see it in terms of People who have audiences, you very often see the audience uh, clearly described by what's going on with the 11th. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're a writer or you do something, you know, you, you're a performer, you run a podcast, uh, what's going on the 11th will often give you a lot of information about audience. Sure. Yeah. My, one of my favorite examples is Kurt Cobain, who had a Moon-Jupiter conjunction in the 11th in Cancer which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I partially always associated that with him getting together with his high school buddy, Chris Novoselic, and then forming this band, Nirvana, which ended up being coming the huge, hugest band at the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. but if, if, if you read it as audience, like this is an audience, he, hasn't, he had an audience that was loyal 30 years after his death, mm -hmm. like crying at his grave every year. Like it's tremendous and also just huge, um, a huge financial gain as a result. And that's actually one signification that I've become, I would say, more interested in over the last year because I've seen it more, is uh, you will see as a secondary signification the 11th being the second from the 10th and being uh, mm. gains from one's professional action. Yeah. And I've seen 11th house stuff, uh, the 11th house ruler and benefics in the 11th when triggered um, – 
turning into money mm. lots and lots and lots of times um, that uh, I, I will use it as a as a as one of the financial indicators. Yeah, well, it's now the substance time. from the tenth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The materia from the tenth, and it's definitely one of the most uh, positive houses in terms of just yeah. the quality. Did we say that? No, I, I think we missed that part. Well, we haven't said anything negative yet. No, we haven't. But we didn't. <laughs> we haven't been explicit to say why because. One of the ways the eleventh was described to me is like manna from heaven rains down on you, and I'm like, this is pretty yeah, good. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I would quite go with that. I'm not like, but Chris, yeah, sorry. Do you want to fill in the gap? I mean, one of the things I would say is just um, it's a succeedant house. Uh, it's configured by a superior sextile to the uh, rising sign, and um, it's also said to be the place associated with Jupiter. So you sort of like put all of those together and you end up with a pretty good picture in terms of it being one of the most positive houses in terms of the usual ranking, which puts like the first, 10th, I think 11th, yeah. and then 5th as being probably the best houses. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah, in terms of favorability. Yeah. Sure. Well, I would say that the 11th is, uh, one of the things about the 11th that's that that keeps it from the top spot is that it is less volitional than say the first and the tenth? Yeah, it's not angular because you it, you know you benefit because you know you start you you know the right person or you're part of the right set you're part of the right network. Yeah, um, you are to some degree dependent on others, and the quality of the network counts. Your ability to access it and then the quality of it. Yeah, and we, you know it's it's configured to the rising by sextile, but it's configured to the seventh by trine, and so we we see a. Uh, from the very beginning, we've been talking about it in very social terms. Yes. And so you are to some degree dependent on, you know, the whims of the audience. Yes. Uh, who you happen to know, you know, Absolutely. who you happen to be around, who you happen to meet, who you happen to be colleagues with or yeah. whatever. And and to a certain extent, who you gel with in that department. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't yeah. mean that it's there aren't lots of benefits, but it's less like uh, you know, it's less volitional than the first. You don't control tenth. it as much directly. It's sort right. of like there's some. Like if I said, you know, if we we're like going to, we could say, okay, work really hard on your career thing. That's 10th house. Mm -hmm. Work really hard on making friends. You can put energy into that, but there are, uh, you know, there are literally lots of other people involved. Yes. And like, you know, you can't fake chemistry. No. Um, and you, so yeah, because you, it's the same with, yeah, well, yeah, just to stay on the friendship track, like you can put a lot of effort into meeting people, but you can't always control what the outcome of that meeting is going to be. Right, and that's, that's where the, the the magic or the, you know, the chemistry, it's either there or it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. Although typically with the 11th, that is where you find people that are on the same wavelength with you and yeah. you just happen to jive with on a, in terms of either intellectually or in a spirit type level versus the 12th house, which is where you run into people that you just don't jive with or that are working at cross purposes to you sometimes through no fault of your own. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I think this where the 11th house significations came with um, going back to like some of the works that I work that I did on the planetary joys is I think the original author or authors or whoever that came up with the system of planetary joys, that divided the chart into those two halves where the bottom half was the lunar realm that was under the earth and had more to do with the body. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the top half of the chart was like the solar realm that had more to do with the spirit and the mind. And so when you look at the fifth house, the place of good fortune associated with Venus, that's a place that has to do with good things that pertain to the body because it's in the bottom half of the mm -hmm. chart. So, but the 11th house then becomes a good house that has to do with things that pertain to the mind or the spirit. Yeah. And one of the things or one of the ways that that's connected is that's where friendship and in some of the ancient definitions that what that's what friendship is is just a connection in being on the same wavelength with somebody in terms of a connection in spirit or in terms of your intellect or what have you. Like the mm -hmm. like mind. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're not necessarily like getting together like you would with a seventh house person or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and if we think of Jupiter being in its joy there, um if if Jupiter one one image for Jupiter could be the preacher. Like mm -hmm. the 11th is the preacher at their congregation. Like that's literally yes. the best place for that figure. Yeah. To be with the people of like mind. Sure. Rejoicing yeah. in the, the good spirit. Yeah, yeah. The good. Yeah. I would almost think of that more in like a ninth house, whereas the 11th house is more like the community organizer, the person that gets involved in politics and finds other people who have similar political views and then they organize together to accomplish something as a team. But well, that's what a congregation is. Like the, I would say the Jupiter in the ninth is like being at seminary, right? Like that's at the temple, like preaching unto the people of a community, mm. like that's the 11th house. And it's in Jupiter imports, you know, um, all the Jupiter significations uh, into it, into whatever house it's in. But you know, who is it easiest to speak the truth to? The people who are like, yes, I totally agree with yeah, you. Yeah, like that preaching to the choir idea. Yeah, it's literally Jupiter the 11th is preaching to the choir. Yeah. Mm. Well, the 11th has a great example of like the, the gathering of the like mind would be um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I don't know if you remember her chart. Sun, Mars, Midheaven, Mercury, all in the 11th. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So she's got that very strong focus. And if you see the Netflix documentary – taking down the house, burning down the house, I can't remember what it's called, um, about the new Democrats. It follows her campaign to get elected and it really speaks to how she had to mobilize the community to get on board and get her elected. So there's, there'd be some third house things there as well, but that idea of finding a tribe of people that are, you know, sharing that sort of vision or that that good spirit, like we, we are passionate about that same type of thing. Well, mm -hmm. and just that's a politics is a really good topic because you will find in most very successful politicians charts something very strong in the 11th well bill clinton yeah. had the sun in leo well and and the ability in the to, 11th specifically yeah. Yeah. the ability to network like network yeah. networking is a very like 11th house activity because it's a social activity yeah. um but it's a social activity involving like many people or involving lots of people in groups rather than just sitting down one-on-one -on -one and spending an extended period just trying to build one relationship you're trying to build many relationships yeah, yeah. And if you yeah if you're in a democracy or something like that mm. where you get positions of power through popularity yeah. then the 11th that's is an incredibly 11th house. important yeah mm -hmm. absolutely um, and also benefits with friends. And we've talked about benefits with friends in terms of if you have positive placements. <laughs> As opposed to, As to the friends converse. With yeah. ben, like different from friends with benefits. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, no, but we should talk about the, the actual converse, which is yeah. um, if, let's say, you have challenging placements in the 11th house and scenarios where, let's just say, 
broadly the most broad statement you could make is like difficulties with friends or difficulties with the topic of friendship. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we talked about an example of like somebody who had a fear of friends or had difficulty making friends. Yeah. Or I've seen other scenarios of somebody that had like one main friend growing up, but they had the ruler of the eleventh house of friends and the eighth house of death, and that person passed away relatively early in their lives, and it kind of traumatized the native. Where the death of her friend was a major negative, sort of like turning point for her in her life. Hugely so. Yeah. Or yeah. you have the uh, the situation where like, you know, somebody's a good kid, but they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. Yes. Yeah. Getting like uh, dragged down by your friends or having your friends qualitatively make your life worse in some way, let's say. Yeah. 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 I had a horror years ago where that there was an 11th house and it was like, you, the the mother was asking about the daughter, you know, what's wrong? You know, she seems to be struggling at school, blah, blah, blah. And, and there was a malefic in the 11th house. And it was like, well, can you change her social network somehow? Uh, yeah. So the 11th, I guess. So, so basically it's going to tell us about the experiences with friends, mm -hmm. whether they are positive and supportive and you enjoy them or whether there are some challenges or limitations or restrictions there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also transits through the 11th house can yeah. sometimes indicate the timing or the triggering of events related to that. Oh, mm -hmm. I got a good one. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when Jupiter was in my 11th house some years ago, and when it perfectly sextiled uh, the degree of my rising, um, you handed off the uh, oh. presidency of the AYA to me. Okay. And we didn't plan it for the transit. We're like, oh, we'll do it at the conference. Yeah. I remember looking, which was UAC 2012. And I remember looking at my transits and I was like, oh, Jupiter in my 11th is perfectly sextile, my own rising in Jupiter, like yeah. that week. Nice. Yes. Yeah. I think I was in an 11th house perfection year. I think when I became president of the Association for Young Astrologers several years prior to that. Did you start that organization? No, no. I, I was like okay. the third something president okay. or something. They had started it several years before I came along, but I okay. had my degree of my midheaven in the 11th whole sign house, as we mentioned earlier. But that activation of going into 11th house perfection year was like being involved in a group, but with the midheaven career significator also there, it was like that being partially a job or becoming president of that group. Mm -hmm. So rising to prominence within the context of a group of a situation. Group. Yeah. And so for me, I I uh, obtained the presidency in a 10th house perfection. Mm -hmm. So that's like, yeah, you know, uh, getting, getting a role. The in, lead you know, person. Yeah. In a, you know, in a, that's what the, we just finished talking about how that's what the 10th house is. Absolutely. The prominence. Yeah. And then, but you know, what was the transit that did that? Oh, it was an 11th house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I think I had Jupiter going through there as well at the same time. So to echo the transit you had was Jupiter's going through my 11th house. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other 11th house transits or observations that you guys have seen? I mean, I've seen people have like a difficult transit through the 11th and like losing a friend. Oh, I had that. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I just had that the other, like last year uh, with the Mars and Saturn conjuncting Capricorn. Mm. Um, and there was this very bizarre altercation with a friend where I got a, sort of just attacked actually by this friend at my house when I was hosting an event for this person, it was so bizarre. But I had two other friends there that kind of stood up and just uh, 
Like I could see them. I, you know, when you're not aware, you, you kind of miss something. And I'm like, they, they sound like they're defending me. What's really going on here? Mm. But anyway, it ended up that it caused this huge drama in our social network. And, uh, you know, the person who sort of started this big drama ended up just sort of um, being lost as a friend or lost to the whole group, if you like. So, okay. yeah, that was a um, a bit of drama to do with, yeah, just a combination of both malefics there. Yeah, and you have a you have a benefic natally there. Yeah. So, so even though normally, the transit was negative, yeah. like the natal That's pattern true. was like, no, no, no. There were people who rose up were like, no, 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 no. great. We got her back. And uh, yeah, so it, that, that you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the challenge of losing a friend. Yeah. Yeah. I had something similar where there was a Mars Saturn conjunction, I think once on the ruler of my 11th. And yeah. it was the first time I had a friend who had a mental breakdown and and suddenly started uh, struggling with mental health issues to an extent that that I had never experienced before and the culmination of that transit was like having to talk with their family and attempting and attempting to get them committed to a hospital because they became like a danger to themselves and mm. it became like a really serious situation yeah so sometimes again that's a situation of like not always rep- representing you but sometimes other people in your life that are important to you in different ways and what's going on in their lives. Yes. Yeah. 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 And the ruler of your 11th is in. I mean, ruler of the 11th uh, yeah, is in, in the 12th. It's in the 12th because I'm like the right. things you're talking about. I'm like that they're all 12 house topics. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. So it all comes out of the 11th house, all the friendship stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, did we go through uh, house ruler delineations? I guess maybe we did. Like r- let's say ruler of. 11 and 10 and maybe career matters being tied up in friendships or groups Mm -hmm. ruler of 11 and nine could be like making a friend who's from a foreign country yeah religious friend um ruler of 11 and seven can i've seen that manifest as people who end up getting in a significant long-term relationship with somebody who started off as a friend yes Mm -hmm. yes Um, ruler of the 11th and the fourth you hang out with your family yeah Mm. right yeah you know um extended family networks Sure. Yeah. Or your friends with your parents or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or you hang yeah. out with your cousins and your uncles or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, so is that it for the 11th house? Is there anything we need to touch on that we didn't before we move it, on? It's a good workable place it's for a really, any planet. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also as one of the most positive houses, one of the reasons why that's important is because oftentimes if the ruler of another house is in the 11th, it will often indicate that that the topics associated with that ruler will tend to go a little bit better than if they were placed in other parts of the chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can be an automatic indication of like favorable or more favorable outcomes for the topic of the ruler of whatever house that is that's placed in the 11th. Yeah. yeah it'll tend to find itself in a supportive network. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Unless it, there are very gets... specific things that say otherwise, you can assume that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, and and as a succeedant house that's building up, it's usually something that gets better over time, or, mm-hmm. or increases and becomes better over time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I see. Um, so in terms of the succeedant houses, I I do tend to look at them as resources. Second house, it's literally the stuff. Yeah, eighth house, it's other people's stuff. Fifth house, it's you know, it's your your uh, personal mojo. It's like it's an internal resource. Yeah, and the eleventh house is social resource. That's mm. a beautiful way of describing it, actually. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, shall we transition into our final of 12 houses? Ooh. Ooh, la la. Into the darkness. Away from the good. All right. So 
transitioning into house 12. So the 12th house in ancient Hellenistic Greco-Roman astrology was known as the place of bad spirit uh, as a sort of next to the place of the 11th, which is the house of good spirit. So um, again, this is in the top half of the chart, which is the solar hemisphere, and that's why they're calling some of these houses as having to do with uh, the mind or the spirit, which is the solar realm as opposed to the houses below the horizon that have to do with the lunar realm, which they're associating with the idea of fortune and the body. So 12th, bad spirit. The 12th is said to be the place where Saturn rejoices or the place where Saturn has its joy. And so traditionally, the 12th has been always associated with Saturn in ancient traditional astrology. Some of the, the, the 12th is a cadent house. It's also a house that is not configured to the rising sign. So as a result of this, in a lot of the traditional texts, the 12th house is treated as um, the worst or the most negative of the negative houses or as the most difficult house in general. Since it has no aspect of the rising sign, it's cadent and also only has a weak sextile with the midheaven or the 10th, whereas the sixth house, which is also cadent and not aspecting the rising sign, at least has a superior trine with the 10th or the midheaven. In terms of significations on the uh, poster, we've got enemies, sickness, loss, and seclusion as being the primary significations in terms of trying to fit just like four on there that I was able to fit as what I thought were four. I know the first three are definitely pretty standard traditional ones going back 2,000 years. So enemies, sickness, and loss as a general signification, but I think seclusion is also more of a modern one that's very relevant as well. Uh, what do you guys think of these four significations? Do you, do you endorse or do you- um, I would go sixth for enemies and I would go um, self-undoing. Uh, yeah, I do like 12th. the self-undoing for the 12th. You, you, um, uh, you see self-sabotage, you see a lot of addictive behavior, um, you just you know you see you see the uh, the native acting against their own interest with planets in the twelfth so consistently. Sure, and you know uh, if a planet's in the twelfth, it's looking right at the sixth and vice versa. Um, but yeah, I would go enemies. I would I would go sixth primary. Okay, uh, yeah, and the idea of self undoing, especially in the past few centuries, has become a major twelfth house signification. I think partially because. The 12th is part of the angular triad associated with the ascendant. And so it's it's planets in the 12th are declining or falling away from the first. Mm -hmm. And if the first house is the native or the self, then the 12th is something that might take decline away. or take away or, or detract from the first. Diminish, Diminish you in some way. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the one other word that I really like for the 12th house is suffering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a... It's appropriate for the twelfth house. It is. It's very appropriate. I know. Sure. I know. I was very excited about that word, though, wasn't I? Um, it, it's very relevant to the nature of the twelfth house because I think on the whether it's self undoing or otherwise, when we suffer, we're often isolated. Mm -hmm. But because of the bad spirit piece, part of the suffering is this is where we get the mental health and the the psychological pieces coming in. Is the suffering is to do with those intangible things that kind of just sit inside us that we churn around. Sure. And depending on 
what planets you may have in the 12th, it can indicate your personal suffering or it may indicate you being a helper for people who are suffering along mm. those lines. Well, it's, yeah, it's an sure. involvement with usually invisible suffering. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because it's invisible and it's in the realm of spirit. Yeah. Like, and so it, it's very um, perfectly, uh, it does a very good job of framing what we now call mental health issues. It's in the realm of spirit, but it's the worst house in yes. the realm of spirit. Yeah. Uh, it's invisible, right? Yeah. It's not configured to the rising. Um, you know, it's the silent suffering of, you know, um, of being depressed mm -hmm. or, you know, or whatever. Absolutely. And the fact that it, in, in many mental health conditions look invisible in the sense that you can look at someone and not realize that they are sick or unwell because it's not like they're walking around with their leg in the cast or they've lost their hair because of chemotherapy. They are suffering in a way that seems invisible. Yeah. Well, if you look at some of the more uh, enthusiastic forms of self-undoing, like um, somebody's nurturing a big, strong addiction, mm -hmm. they conceal it. Absolutely. You Keep know. it a secret. You know, um, it's it be, yeah, um, the, you try to keep it invisible. Yes. You know, if you're drinking actively. all day at work or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the isolation is interesting. Uh, so two of the, you know, there are locations that we can associate with different houses. And so hospitals, mm -hmm. um, mental and otherwise, yeah. um, are strongly associated with the, with the 12th. Right. Um, and one thing I think is interesting is, so the 12th is maybe seemingly ironically a very spiritual place yes because like when you're just there with your thoughts well that's like you know that's that's <laughs> that that that's that's the practice of meditation or yes. it's you know getting savaged by your thoughts but that 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 invisible struggle in the mental or spirit realm mm -hmm. like that is by nature a, a spiritual contest yes and so one of the ways that i think about i think about the 6th and 12th often in relationship to each other in the sixth, we're contesting with things externally, whether it's enemies or we're trying to, you know, fix our stairs or we're struggling with our body. Whereas in the twelfth, we're struggling with our mind. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, in uh, in a number of Hori uh, texts, I believe uh, Lily included, if you do a Hori to see whether someone is cursed and there's a spirit, you know, an yes. invisible spirit fucking with them, you look at the ruler of the twelfth as the indicator of the the curse. Yeah. Right. If there's a curse, right. Um, and that's what it feels like, you know, if. Um, People will use language like a curse if like, oh, I'm cursed with this addictive tendency or, mm. um, you know, can feel like a curse if you have to struggle with depression or anxiety or whatever and it's invisible. Yes. You can't see where it's coming from and so it's just your mind versus whatever. Mm. Um, one thing that's interesting is in, um, uh, in uh, Vedic astrology – um, the twelfth as the place of self undoing is take it, it's ninety percent the same as what we're talking about, but in the context of spiritual practices where you're trying to undo the ego, mm -hmm. we're literally trying to undo. It can be positive in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's still for more normal life stuff. Um, it's all of the same significations we're talking about. Um, but what's interesting is if you think of um, 
uh, places of seclusion that people go to be by themselves to do this sort of spiritual contest, like so a monastery or an ashram or what or a retreat. Um, that like the structure of a monastery and the structure of a a hospital or a jail is another mm-hmm. twelfth house thing. Yep, it's very similar. Do you know what you call the rooms in a monastery? You call them cells. Yeah. Um, and what do you do? You go there and you sit by yourself and you think about what you've done. Yes. Which is exactly what you would do if you were committed uh, to a mental institution or if you were um, forced into jail. Yeah. Galileo famously had uh, Jupiter in Pisces in the 12th mm-hmm. and predicted um, that he would be he would be uh, jailed for his beliefs. Yeah, and he was. Which, which he was. Yeah. Right. But well, then- and he he was under house arrest, so he had a slightly more comfortable imprisonment environment. It was Jupiter and Pisces. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> so he still had the twelfth house imprisonment, but he got to do it in the comfort of his own home. Right. And then it it was like connected somehow with the ruler of his tenth, and he ended up writing some of his most important works later in life when he was under imprisonment, uh, but then also unfortunately died under house arrest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, isolation. And I think that's one of the reasons why like places of isolation, uh, can be Mm. one of the significations associated with the 12th. So let me jump in on that. I have the ruler of my rising in the 12th. Yeah. I need places of isolation. That's And that's the thing is that it's not always like you're going to end up in prison, but it's like, you need to spend time alone and you need to spend time in quiet, secluded settings. Because I see the 12th house as being away from, the rest of the chart, if you like, it, it it's very um, set apart in the same way that anyone in hospital or in a monastery or in a, we used to call it the nunnery when we were kids because my aunt is a Catholic nun, but the convent, um, you, you are separated, uh, but it, it can be to your own benefit to be in that space at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and so worth noting that, you know, the, the, the 12th and the 11th have really, um, how should we say, almost polar relationships to the social. Yes. The, right? the di- 11, di- di- co- like completely di- different, opposite. There, there are more people around in the 11th than any other house. And, and then there are the least people around in the 12th. In the 12th, yeah. Absolutely. And then one way that I do see the 12th coming up in, in a very modern 21st century context, although it's not as though it's never been around before, is when people take themselves off to a retreat. They go on the silent meditation oh, for oh. 10 days or they you go, I'm going to Bali to do a yoga thing for two weeks and I won't have any connection to the rest of the world. And mm. yeah. a traditional signification you see for the 12th is exile to foreign lands. Oh, that's, oh my gosh, now I'm getting on my soapbox here. Yeah, I love the the away part of the 12th house because when, so Grace Kelly has the ruler of the 7th in the 12th. And she's an example of going away to foreign lands for her relationship because Grace Kelly, of course, married the Prince of Monaco and mm-hmm. had to, you know, go through all that. So, yeah, you do see this away of people going away from their original place with the 12th house. Yeah, and yeah. that's because it's a kid in house. So it's yes, another one of those houses where falling. it's falling or it's moving away from the uh, stability of the first house. Yes. Yeah, and it's um, – if you think about – being forced to live in a foreign land, which is different than taking a trip, right? It's different than that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And so think about that before airplanes and before handy-dandy language guides, 
Oh, yeah, right? you were on a boat. I mean, even in the mid-20th century, many people would be, were going back and forward yeah. between England and Australia, and it would take you weeks. Well, and it was dangerous. Yeah, you could die, get sick, you'd get scurvy. Yeah, and you don't know the culture, and you can't Google stuff. <laughs> you can't speak the language, and if, you, if you're if going on a trip like that, and you're it's actually- isolating. You're leaving behind everyone you know, because mm -hmm. a letter is going to take months to get back to yeah, them, too. And, Weeks, yeah. maybe, yeah. Well, and there can sometimes even now still be an inherent um, um, vulnerability or sense of unsteadiness in traveling and in that place where you're sort of not in limbo, but you're in a transitional state. Like transitional states can be places of vulnerability in some sense. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, so in the 7th century, Rhetorius, he refers to the 12th as the place in between worlds yes. because he says that it's the right the the twelfth house is the sign that was rising in the hour or two before birth. So as a cadent or a declining house, um, it means while the mother was in labor, the sign that's on the twelfth in the birth chart is the sign that was rising while the mother was in labor. And so he talks about the mother being in labor and the native being in between life and de death mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. And so this notion of being in between worlds becomes part of the underlying sort of motif of the 12th house from that perspective. Also, that means that you are going through the most painful thing that you've ever experienced mm -hmm. during that 12th house period because you're being squeezed through in, the birth like, canal. All of the, like, the happy fluid that you were floating in, that's gone. It's gone now. You're now getting like crushed and being pushed. Crushed. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. And your, your, your lungs are being compressed to try and force breath into them. I mean- yeah, birth trauma. It's yeah. it's a thing. Sure. So you're in that transitional state, but it's also a state of potential um, danger. It's oh, great yeah. vulnerability because up until a couple of hundred years ago, childbirth was the leading cause of death for women, and many children didn't live out of their childhood. Right. It's phenomenally risky to be pregnant at certain points in history. There was a Greek word that I heard um, Demetra reference, and I, I I may be bastardizing it here or pronouncing it incorrectly. But the idea of metacosmios, which I think speaks to that world between worlds. Yes, yeah, the type one of that, means, energy. that can be interpreted to mean in between worlds. In between worlds, yeah. Uh, well, and also, you know, so if we take some of the potentially useful, fruitful activities, um, so yeah, maybe you ended up, so you ended up in the 12th house place of seclusion, maybe because you were exiled. Maybe because you went to, you know, uh, you went to a monastery. Maybe because you're in jail. But now you're in the seclusion place, and it's just you and your mind. Yes. Um. There, oh, I just lost the point that I was going to. Sorry. Right. Before you move on, can we just stick yeah. with the um? Because I want to read Valens's significations of the twelfth really quickly. Okay. From the second century, so he has, so he says the twelfth, uh, foreign lands, enmities, slaves. Injuries, dangers, judgments, suffering, death, and sickness. Um, so one of the ones, because this is a recurring one all over the Hellenistic and even some of the medieval authors, even though there's a tendency to move towards treating the twelfth as just self-undoing in the later tradition. And a lot of the earlier authors, they're treating the eleventh as the place of friends and the house that follows after that, the twelfth, as one of the places of enemies. Yeah. Um, so I just want to make sure that that's represented because that's why I put that on there because it's a pretty consistent traditional signification that if there are friends or if you can find the topic of friends in a mm -hmm. person's chart and that's primarily associated with the 11th, that the 12th 
is one of the primary places where you find enemies. And what you mean by that, in some sense, is people that work at cross purposes to you, work like against you, undermine you. Yeah, because sometimes you know, if, if a friendship is partially a connection between the spirit or an affinity between the spirit of、mm. two people that just get along for sometimes reasons that are outside of their control,、um, due to a sort of affinity, the twelfth. Relative to the rising sign is a sign that shares no affinities with the first,、mm. and sometimes you just run into or meet people who you share no affinity with, or who you just don't get along with for some reason. That may not even not necessarily be your fault or either person's fault, but for some reason you end up running at cross purposes to each other. And I think sometimes when you meet objective twelfth house individuals. Those are the ones that sometimes the ancient authors might be qualifying there as as enemies, quote unquote.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I do see the enemy sort of configuration that idea of someone undermining you or undermining you.、Um, and I do think it goes with the good spirit, bad spirit to a certain extent.、Um, but I know that you see it differently. Yeah, I mean, I don't.、Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to find an enemy in the twelve. Yeah, I would look first at the six. At the six, okay. Yeah. I mean, then that's fine if you do. I just want to mention it because it is a really consistent Hellenistic signification、mm-hmm. in terms of assigning yeah、uh, enemies to the twelfth, and that can come up sometimes in different ways when the ruler of Let's say different houses are in the twelfth or in a house where you find difficult things like the sixth or twelfth. That sometimes the、um, person in your life that's represented by that house ruler can sometimes start working at cross purposes to you, which sometimes can mean they become like an enemy or somebody that works against you,、mm. somebody that ends up undermining you. Like let's say the ruler of the third is in the twelfth, and it can indicate loss or enmity with a sibling, like、mm-hmm. having a falling out with a sibling at、mm-hmm. some point in your life. Is a I think a delineation that's in some of the texts pretty、mm-hmm. traditionally, or just going through various other houses. I know. Well, I mean, to a certain degree, any、um, any house ruler that's in the twelfth, there's going to be problems. Yeah, there there, there are going to be problems. Yeah.、Um, and if it's a social house, then there will be problems with whoever those people are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of sometimes just loss, like loss as being a twelfth house signification. Definitely, absolutely. The eleventh tends to be associated with gain, so sometimes it can mean losing and the dissipation of that person or the loss of that person from your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.、Uh, like I'm thinking of, I think like Yoko Ono, for example, had the ruler of the seventh and the twelfth, and experienced、yeah. her husband getting shot、uh, and the loss of a husband, for example. Yeah. Or.、Um, Various other challenging configurations that you could have: the ruler of the fifth in the twelfth, or yeah, absolutely well, it, lost a child. It or, is、sure. um, yeah. generally unfortunate.、Mm-hmm. Yeah,、um, like the、uh, six, twelve, and two, fair degree eighth.、Um, like if there is whatever planet is there, whatever houses it rules, will tend to suffer. Yes, and I, I think that that.、Um, Disappearance, like loss, as like because we can have、uh, misfortune in terms of something turning bad, but still existing. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I would agree that the the twelfth is specifically config or is specifically associated with dissipation or evaporation, Devash- vanishing. Like they're not there, and and that's、yeah. um, 
I think that ties in very well with the isolation. Because mm. if you're isolated, it's because people aren't around. Correct, yeah. Right, it's yeah. not because- They're all vaporized. Right, it's not- Not it, literally. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the vapors. Right, yeah. But they're not part of your world. No. Right. No, and that's where I think the 12th is about being away from, like when it gets triggered by timing factors, it's you are away from the normal- things, the people or places that are in your world sure, for a temporary period of time. And there's definitely ways that that can work out positively, or if you have mitigations going on, like if planets in the 12th are sextile or aspecting the degree of the midheaven within three degrees, that yeah. can mitigate it and you can see more constructive manifestations of the 12th house. I have a funny example for that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I knew uh, a shady real estate person maybe 10 years ago who had a Venus-Jupiter conjunction in the 12th, exactly sextile to midheaven. Mm. And like they made a lot of money. It was pretty shady, but um, you know. They uh, did it. They made yeah. it work for them in their it career was, by was, doing shady stuff. It was favorable for this person. Right? Yeah. I mean, I always think of the 12th house as the writing cave for me personally, in the sense, you know, from a what how could it has the 12th house productive. If you do have to get a project done, for instance, being productive in private or in seclusion can be, you know, helpful in that regard. So there are things that you can do when you are disconnected from the normal stuff. Yeah. When I was in my last 12th house perfection year, right at the beginning of the year, uh, I lost my sister. She passed away and I moved back home out to the middle of nowhere in this tiny town in Colorado uh, to support my uh, mom at the time and just ended up spending that 12 months in the middle of nowhere. And I immediately set myself to trying to write my book and do all the research. And I spent most of the year writing in isolation Yeah, uh, for the most part that year. Wow, yeah, you're in, in a Galileo. 12th house perfection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but, that, but that's where you can do productive things from the 12th house well, Yeah. Space. So yeah, yeah, a few other things. One, um, when there's, you know, when there are reasonable mitigations, um, you are like sometimes like ruler of the tenth and the twelfth with some other helpful stuff. You'll see, people, you'll see people who are very effective behind the scenes. Yes, oh, I've yes. seen that a lot. Um, and then yes. also, um, uh, some people, uh, some people have associated um, uh, magic or occultism with the twelfth, which I think is an error. Um, spiritual things can happen there, like you can get cursed, according to Lily, right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, in that we're wrestling with the Kakodaimon or the the bad spirit in the twelfth, um, that is fourth from the ninth. It is like the supportive foundation of your quest for truth or any sort of ninth house capacity for divination or magic or you know, um, clear thinking or publishing. Um, yeah. is the did you solve the fourth house thing? Yes. That's, that's how that's, you can do the ninth house yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a fourth route to the ninth. Yeah. That's a that's a secondary thing, but it comes up. Um, have we talked about like sickness or illness? Because this is part of the axis of the sixth and twelfth house. And while there's certainly a tendency for the sixth house to be more like physical ailments. An illness and the 12th house to be more mental, or that might be where you might look if you're looking for mental um, disturbance or illness. There's also sometimes still can be um, a physical, yeah, like physical illness and 
uh, sickness components to the twelfth house. Well, yeah, it's very uh, it's very rare to find something to find a physical illness that does not cause mental suffering. Mm. It's very difficult to find a significant mental illness that does not um, have a physical... cause the body to decline. Yeah, there's a, a one of the food bloggers that I follow suffers from um, a condition known as ulcerative colitis. And Ooh, yeah, that's rough. It's really rough. And she's been, I guess, in remission for a number of years and she's been publishing books and having her family and, you know, really living a very full life. But she's had a really bad flare recently and she's been in hospital for the last couple of weeks away from her family. She's been on isolation because her immune system is completely shot. So mm. her three young children haven't been able to come visit her and – um, so the she is in a 12th house environment. She's isolated in hospital, mm -hmm. uh, but because of a physical problem. Sure. So, yeah, just that's just one yeah, very current example of the links that you're talking about, Austin. Right, just with, like 1, 7, yeah. 6, 12 is yeah. it's a hell of an axis. It's tight. So she's, the trigger is the physical problem, but, um, you know, she's she's got a public profile, so she's shared stuff, you know, via the gram. Um, about how hard she's finding it, you know, and I think she's seen her kids like twice in the last two and a half weeks or something. Right. Which is very, very distressing. And one of her children's only a couple of years old. So, okay. Yeah. So you get some of the like isolation stuff as well. Total isolation. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the sickness and the suffering, while we probably do tend to prioritize the mental component in the 12th, they are connected. You can still be suffering in the 12th from a physical problem. Yeah. Because it's still, it's a, house that's declining and detracting from the first and the first is not just the mental but also the, the physical body. yeah so that which detracts from the first um or the falling away or a wasting away of the first is part of what the um 12th signifies and it can be both mind as well as body yeah yeah all right what else so so one last thing conceptually there is that this is brought up something we could do to round this out which is um, that last point brought back something that goes back to the very beginning of the tradition, which is just the interconnectedness between um, opposing houses mm -hmm. and the interrelationship between houses that are opposite to each other. Um, so there's a lot of different interrelations. We've talked about angular triads and like the sequence of three houses grouped around the angles. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got sometimes pairs of houses that are very closely paired together next to each other, like the place, the fifth house, the place of good fortune, next to the sixth house, the place of bad fortune, mm -hmm. or the 11th house, the place of good spirit, next to the 12th house, the place of bad spirit. Um, but then we've also got this polarity and this interlinking and relationship between the significations of opposing houses that's, that's so crucial and important and is probably another key to understanding the significations of any one house is also looking at and, and opposing it to the significations of the opposite house. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so on a practical level, if there are like rough oppositions in the sky and they're in 612, it's not going to be a physical or a mental, like there will be suffering at yes. multiple levels of being. <laughs> Unfortunately, both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you just know, like, if that axis gets pinged hard, yeah. like, that's bad news. And it's yeah. not one or the other. Well, in the same way that if the fifth, eleventh axis gets pinged, this is generally going to be positive. Yeah. Um, and it can be positive in more than one way. So I'm hoping that between, like, this episode and the first episode, people are really starting to see some of those connections between mm -hmm. the pairs of the houses and how they're, like, 
opposing topically but complementary or still interconnected yeah. in terms of the theme. Yeah. And it creates also, though, sometimes a frustrating ambiguity because they can exchange significations, and you can see the same significations in both houses. And mm -hmm. while sometimes we want to like create very strict d distinctions between the two, sometimes yeah. they can share significations in, in weird ways. Yeah. 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 Well, does that mean we also need to talk about large animals in the 12th house? I, I don't know. I never, I mean, we have pets in the sixth, which yeah. is a more modern one. Although I, I think. I don't know anybody with any large animals. Horses. Okay. People sometimes, I've seen, I've had a few charts over the years with people who are, you know, into the, the horse culture or the horse sort of community and. That horse life. <laughs> I've never the only I've never and understood because I think this shows up already in Rhetorius in the seventh century and it starts by then of assigning like animals to six and twelve but I've never fully mm. understood why like I couldn't almost get that with the sixth where um, you end up they're they're assigning like slaves to the sixth and they also end up putting like pets to the sixth and, or domesticated animals or something yeah but I've yeah. never understood otherwise symbolically is it because a big animal can trample you. I wonder about that. Maybe. Yeah. And also the the lack of containment, you know, like an elephant. You of course you can contain a horse, but they do still have that uh, kind of wild thing. You can uh, horse decides to kick you. That's what I mean. You can die. Exactly, exactly. My grandfather lost an eye because of the horse. My great grandfather <laughs> died after getting kicked by a horse. Yeah. Yeah. So there's um like a dog or a cat is less likely to kill you, although maybe they could through infection, like a bite, but yeah, the large animals. Yeah, I I just I've never dwelt on it very much because I just don't fully understand symbolically how they got how there. How they got there? Yeah, I yeah. don't know that either. But I do know that occasionally I will see if somebody is really passionate about elephant con conservation or large animal conservation. Okay. Um, it's very weird, but it's like, oh, okay, this is where we get this twelve house little piece coming but not, from. Yeah. Sure, it's, just the large animals. Yeah. Well then, but fuck the small animals. Well, well, that's they. If they were interested in the small animals, they'd be they'd have the sixth house. Sure. Yeah. Which I have seen. Yeah. I definitely. I don't. I'm not, I haven't done a lot with that, but I have no. occasionally seen that sixth house thing. Yeah. I, I see pets. Yeah, I see pets in six. In the sixth, sure. for sure. And yeah. they are totally your enemies, or in they <laughs> they are bad for your health. <laughs> they are often. Yeah, yes. At least cats are. Cat litter. Oh my god. Yeah. That actually brings up a whole. So there's an argument sometimes about whether to put pets in the with modern astrologers about whether to put them in the sixth, the fifth, to the extent that some people treat their children like their pet, their pets like the, their the children. children. I don't know. I don't. Look, we don't have to go into that, but they're not your children. The only they're thing not, I would yeah. say, yeah, okay. like I'm, I'm a loving pet parent, and my cats are very well treated, and I've yeah, talked I, about them so often on the podcast. But I still would insist that they are a sixth house yeah, part okay. of my life and not a fifth. Yeah, Kate okay. will refer to me as the father of her cat. Yeah, and I'll call um, them our fur babies. Fun, but I don't actually think that I'm the father of the cat. No, <laughs> right? It's and not, you, it's a genetic impossibility. It's not like continuing your family lineage, right? Like this well, cat is going to do me proud. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I just, I can understand the love. And I guess that's what I'm trying to acknowledge is I totally yeah. get the love that you have for a pet right. in, and that they get in your heart. Um, we have Not to everything you love is your child. That's exactly it. Yeah. Or, we, but, it, but like, it's like also tough because they do. Your spouse is not your child, but you love them. Yeah. I mean, pets do become part of a person's family and like Absolutely. the loss or death of a pet can that's be like a major. Yeah. Thing. But it, it still does show up in the sixth house when I've seen it. When I've done timing about people losing a pet 
99% of the time there's sixth house stuff yeah. going on. Sixth, something in the sixth, a perfection sixth, or something to the ruler of the sixth. Yeah. One we completely skipped that I meant to do, I think, but we didn't, was uh, we completely skipped over the discussion about the debate about uh, sex in the eighth house and whether to put it there at well, all. We, we talked already... about it in the fifth. Right. Well, because that's but where we most traditional astrologers put it, but yeah. I just know there's a lot of modern astrologers and new students that are going to wonder why didn't we talk about that at all with the eighth? Oh, so, because it's in episode one. <laughs> did we? Well, I thought we talked about it with the fifth. We did. Yeah, okay, so about, we, we already did, we did dealt pleasures with that of the body. Yeah, that we traditionally, or at least from the medieval period onwards, it tended to sex tended to be associated with the fifth house and the joy of Venus. Yeah. Eventually, in modern times, um, through assigning Scorpio to the eighth house and Pluto or whatever, they started assigning. The eighth house to sex, but that was only in the past century or past few decades. Yeah. So now it's kind of a modern debate where some astrologers assign sex to the eighth and others more traditionally inclined astrologers tend to put it in the fifth. Fifth, yeah. And I think you had also mentioned in in the part one episode that there were some references to it in the seventh house. Yeah. Well, that's one of the funny things when I see traditional astrologers, usually medieval astrologers going like too hard against modern astrologers, I sometimes like to pull out like, well, that even in and of itself was only a thing that was happening from let's say like the 8th or 9th century until the 17th or 18th century it was assigned to the 5th whereas if you go back earlier it was assigned to the 7th yeah so it's like nobody necessarily has There's full an, authority and- to say i don't know it's definitely this house and you're an idiot if you assign this signification to this because i think what's most important is just getting to the underlying symbolism and having a good reason conceptually and philosophically as well as practically to assign whatever signification you come up with. And um, different astrologers are going to adopt and endorse different conceptual models that they think make sense to them and then use those to generate significations from the houses. Mm. And that's a real discussion that has to be had in the astrological community that's recent because now there's so many different conceptual models that there's a real debate sometimes that, that come up and can be legitimately argued one way or another. But I think the important thing is just being deliberate about what model you're using and not necessarily taking things for granted, but instead knowing why you think certain things mean what they mean Mm -hmm. and trying to have a good rationale or reason for it. Yeah. 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 That's good. Are you willing to be that charitable, Austin? Sure. Sure. (laughs) As long as you don't make him say more about it. Why not? (laughs) Well, because I I just think that uh, if I were going to – if I were going to put money on whether a person would have more more sex, all other factors being equal, during a seventh or eighth house perfection, I would bet seventh yeah. uh, or fifth very strongly over eighth. See the one, and the one reason I say that is because I've in my um, my episode on this, whatever episode that was on the astrology podcast, I did throw out a bone to those who want to continue to try the to argue the eighth from a different perspective is I think you could try to do it from a traditional perspective by saying that the eighth house is the succeedant house that follows after the seventh. And so therefore, theoretically or conceptually following the exact same model some of the traditional astrologers did, the eighth should follow that which comes after um, the partnership that you form in the seventh. And one of the things that does follow after subsequently to getting in a, a long-term relationship or a marriage with somebody is like um, having sex as part of the relationship, mm. let's say theoretically. Yeah, I, I think that you can I think you can make a decent 
argument for the eighth as um, connected to sex, I would say in a secondary way, um, where it's the substance of the other. Right. But I don't think that makes it the primary house because there's all this other eighth house stuff, which is not sexy. Correct. All. Yeah. Sure, but let's just say it could because one of the things we need to one of the discussions well, let, let, we have let, to have. Actually, let me strengthen that point. One of the primary significations of the how of the fifth house is good things happening to the physical body. Yeah, I, I mean that is one got the, to be the primary. One part. of the one of the primary another primary fifth is um, is things that are pleasurable and fun, and specifically bodily. Right? Yeah. Um, and then with the seventh, like it's, there's another, it, it's all about the intersection between you and another. And so the eighth is not primarily about other people's bodies. You can get there. It's not um, contrary to the house. But if you look at the eighth, eighth doesn't um, bring people together in happy union. You need, um, you need, you need, um, you need something else besides just eighth houseness to bring, uh, to bring bodies together in, you know, in joyful, loving, pleasurable union. You don't have joyful, loving, pleasurable, um, fruitful as keywords for the eighth in the tradition at all. Well, right. But the eighth is also that which is a value that's seen to be a value that the other has or possess possesses. And when you get into that as a broad second house thing, while we usually put possession in that, like, I don't know, you start getting into broader meanings where it could start heading in that direction. Yeah, you can, again, you can get there, but um, it's not um, uh, it's not nearly as primary as it is for the fifth or seventh. I, I wouldn't yeah. mind mm -hmm. taking into account the eighth, but I, I would privilege the the fifth and seventh above the eighth. Sure, and that's fine, and I can get on, totally on, completely on board with that. I think one of the discussions I think we need to have as a community, though, at this point is when you go back and I read Valens, as I've done a few passages, one of the things you'll immediately see is they're often assigning a topic to multiple houses, mm -hmm. and there's not this preoccupation that we've had I think that probably grew out of the horary tradition, mm. which became because horary wasn't really practiced that much, if at all, in the Hellenistic tradition. And then in the medieval tradition, it started being practiced. And then by the Renaissance, that's like the main thing that they're practicing. Lily opens up by teaching horary, mm. whereas all earlier authors opened up with like mundane or natal. And with horary, you kind of do need to try to have. One, one primary house. significator, yeah. one primary house that rules a topic. Yeah. But in Hellenistic, we can see them having like children, for example, they would say fifth house. Yeah. But they would also say uh, 10th house and 11th house and maybe even fourth house for yeah. children as well. Yeah. Or friends, we see Valens assigning yeah, to like, like, yeah, like several three, different 11, houses. There was like three, like my friendships came up three or four times. Right. So I think the point, Chris, one of the larger points that I think you are making here is that ancient astrologers didn't all agree on specifically one house per topic type of thing. Yeah, and it wasn't just that they didn't agree, but it was that they held that there was enough multivalence in different houses that sometimes um, you could have a certain topic that could be assigned to multiple houses, and that's that's okay. That's yeah, that that it, it's okay if you you know yeah, fifth they, seventh. I, I yeah. mean. Yes, but a lot of those are like, uh, you know, children is a pretty big topic and sex is a big topic. Yeah. And it's like, what 
role do the houses uh, like each of the houses has a specific relationship to that topic mm -hmm. you know like we talked about fifth and seventh like those have uh, a those both have a relationship to sex um, but they don't have the same relationship to sex no like if we can't just you know like uh, it, it there there is um i i think a um finer differentiation implied um behind the simple behind the assignment of this this house will impact children this this other house will impact children but sometimes we have to do a little thinking in terms of okay well what how does it impact in this what way topic? yeah right and i know that that like intellectually i want to do that and i want to go there with you and and come up with the differentiation so that we can say this house could be children in this way and this house could be this other side of children but I think originally they were getting there not from that, but instead just from the fact that if you're trying to derive significations from symbolic interpretations of astronomical movements, that there were just different ways that you could end up with assigning certain topics to different houses. So to use go back to children, we've talked about astronomically how the fifth house is the succeedant house that follows after the fourth. And if we establish that the fourth house represents one's family and one's parents and one's lineage, then the fifth is that which follows after that. So therefore, your family lineage and its continuation, we can see how they perhaps, and this is just an argument that I've made about how children got assigned there, but then they also assign children to the 10th under the premise that the 10th is your proxis and is that which you do or that which you create, that which you make. Mm -hmm. The enactment. Right. And therefore, your work in the world, your work in yeah. the world for some people, like having children is one of the things that they accomplish or do or create in their life and is a significant thing in that way. And that's one of the ways how you can see how they would have gotten to children being, you know, something that could also be assigned to the 10th house. But do you have kids when you have 10th house transits or is it when there's, you know, when do people get pregnant? Like the theoretical is, um, very important and the rationale is important but we also have to we you know um as practitioners you have to look at what do these things do mm. and take that into account and there's a dialogue between you know it's not that the entire system of astrology was created purely mentally before ever being tested out at all like you don't think that they were like okay i'm pretty sure if we do it this way the theoretical rational we should get children here and they didn't look at charts mm -hmm. yeah you but know, like some people a, absolutely do have 10th house transits when they have children or i've seen some people in their zodiac releasing from a lot of spirit periods which usually just represent a person's career like they'll go into peak periods when they had kids or you'll see a loosing of the bond and that was them having children because for that individual in some instances, not in all instances, them having career, uh, kids is something that's tied into their overall career or life's work. And while that's not the same way for everybody, I do see that with some people or some yeah, clients. That, that definitely happens with some charts. Sure. So then that's though an independent, not just symbolic, but also practical reason why sometimes kids can be. Yeah, but you not can get indicators house, of children in any house if you have the ruler of the fifth. I don't know. I feel like we're pursuing this point perhaps too far. Well, I just want to mention it because since what one of the things that we did in this episode was to blend modern and traditional 
significations. And we've tried to be very specific and very deliberate about saying this house is assigned to this signification, this house is assigned to this signification. And we've kind of glossed over and not focused or dwelt too much on debates or differences between astrologers. We did run into a difference between like the two of us about whether enemies should be assigned to the 12th, but otherwise we've glossed over a lot. I just want to make sure that as we contribute this to the astrological community that one of the things I want to do in discussions I think the community should have is about the question about whether you have to assign a topic to just one house or can we have broader discussions about can a topic be assigned to multiple houses in the long term without ruining the consistency and the efficacy of the system. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I think that um like I said earlier that um multiple houses can contribute to some topics in different ways. Right. Yeah, and I was just I completely agree with that and I think that's an important thing to think about because I don't know that a ton of work has been done on that because we tend to have more discussions about singularly assigning one house to topics instead of Yeah, I would say and Kelly tell me what you think. That comes up a lot in practice where someone's like, "Yeah, I'm trying to do this," and then I will look for everything that's supportive of that mm. and everything that can detract from that. Mm. Um and so I, I think that that again that comes up in practice inevitably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, and I think there is that scope for sure because you you're looking for okay this planet could signify this topic i could get it out of this house and maybe a little bit out of that house kind right. of thing yeah, because when your client wants to know about a topic you want to make sure you give a really holistic or well-rounded response around that or like venus and relationship or relation the topic of relationships yeah. and looking to like venus as a general significator or looking to the seventh house or looking to the ruler of the seventh Seven. house yeah so that you're looking at like multiple things that are all giving sometimes the same recurring or echoing the same indication, or sometimes they're indicating different things uh, depending on what significator you're Yeah, they're at. all pieces of the the puzzle around the same topic, if you like. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah if, if, if we want to solve for relationships, we need to look at the ruler of the seventh, we need to look at what's in the seventh, and we need to look at Venus as a starting point. There's a couple other things you can sometimes bring in depending on what else is happening in the chart, but they're, they're going to be your base beginning points. Yeah. If I'm looking at fertility, I'm looking at the fifth, the ruler of the fifth, the moon, and the first house ruler of the first, you mm -hmm. know, and you, you're looking at three or four different things, mm -hmm. but you're trying to get a whole picture. Are all of those things in good condition for fertility? Are they all in bad? Are some in good and some in bad? And you, you know, you weigh your assessment accordingly. Yeah. And that's where something like the modern, which is also a traditional concept, but the rule of three of mm. if you see something come up once, then it's like a maybe. If you see it come up twice, it's more certain or probably, and if you see it come up three times in, a, in three different ways, then it's almost definite that you're the person's likely going to experience whatever that is symbolically that's being pointed to in the chart. Yeah. 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 Well, and also, yeah, um, in terms of houses, I do a fair amount with um, derivative houses and mm. just like uh, not just houses from houses, but, al but also coding those in terms of whether that's supportive or not. Mm -hmm. Like, a planet in the eleventh house is going to support a planet in the seventh because it's in an inferior trine to it, and the planet yeah. in the in the in the seventh is going to 
pull support from that. Yeah. It's not that the the seventh or the eleventh is inherently about one-on-one relationships, but in that chart, anything there is going to be in a position to support. Yes. Right? Which we can follow, right? If you're around a lot of people, it's going to be easier to find somebody. To find a romantic partner. Um, yeah. The 12th is sixth from the seventh. If you are alone um, and miserable, it's going to be harder. Yes, to find to, a partner. To find other people who are, yeah. you know, want to join your suffering beings. Yes. But, yeah. And so, you know, if in sort of outlining the the task of the astrologer uh, collectively as well as individually, sorting is I think we've we've done a good job of trying to sort what is the what are the primary uh, effects of a of a of a given house, and then what are secondary like important secondaries, and then we could you know we don't we've already spent six hours on this right yes. so <laughs> we we didn't dig into the tertiaries too much but, but those okay. are there right, right. yeah. Tertiaries or like deriv- derived houses that you've mentioned, for example, like turning the chart and saying that whatever that the tenth house is the fourth from the seventh, so it might indicate the parents of the marriage partner, or whatever. Right. Although some some of the derived stuff is pretty strongly secondary, like the yeah. second second from the seventh. We did a lot with that, and that's yeah. used all the time. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you and you can, can get crazy. crazy. It starts getting kind of ridiculous if you go too far with the derived right. houses, and there is a danger of that, right? Like the spouses, brothers, children, yeah, yeah or which the, would be the fifth from the third from the seventh, or yeah. like the pets of the spouse's children's brother or something go. like that. Now, we, my I'm like, you're my off uncle's the deep cat, end. right? <laughs> yeah, and so like, yeah. If there's a specific question about that and you do that, it'll be useful. Yes. But you don't want to come into a, a needle chart where you're like, oh, what are you know, what's what's the what's their uncle's cat gonna be? Yes, like? that's that's true. Cause you don't wanna you wanna keep the the energy clear, the information clear. Well, and there's probably diminishing returns at some point if you Absolutely, go to, that's the better phrase. Well, what is right. the value of knowing the fate of your uncle's cat? Yes. Yeah. To what extent? Sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, I think <laughs> on that note, on that crazy note, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we did it. I think we're done, yeah. mm-hmm. and I think we need to wrap up this two-part series on the significations of the twelve houses. Yes. So, uh, congratulations, good job. Thank you for joining me for this today. I think this is a really good and important discussion, and I think it'll lay a nice foundation both for those that are new students as well as intermediate and advanced students that are trying to ground their understanding of this which is you know basically like one quarter of our system of western astrology which is composed of like yeah. planets signs aspects and houses mm-hmm. and if you can get this quarter down then you've got maybe 25% of the system down maybe yeah. that's a little broadly speaking or going too it's far true. but no, it's a no, huge it's chunk well i would it's say essential. once you get all four then it becomes operational yeah. right then and you have a stable table ooh I'm a rhyme, a poet, and I didn't even know it. I like that. <laughs> but uh, it is, these four makes things stable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So obviously, even though we spent a long time doing this, this was just sort of a piece of sort of a treatment of the houses that we all got together and did sort of off the top of our head really quickly. If people, as we said in the previous episode, want to learn more, each of us has books and courses and classes mm-hmm. and lectures and everything else where we go into even more depth uh, on this specific topic. 
Uh, Kelly, what have you done on the houses if people want to study with you and like learn more from your approach? Yeah, I cover it in my Practical Astrology Beginners course, which is a six-week training. And if you on my website and you're under the Learn Astrology tab, there's a button that says Newbies Start Here because it is foundational. And then I've also got a webinar on the rulers of the houses, which is a really important topic too. And that's under the Learn Astrology online classes tab at kellysastrology.com. Brilliant. Austin? All right. So I have a series of lectures recorded on the houses that are purchasable. And the houses are an important unit in my year one astrology program. Okay. Uh, what's your website? At austincopic.com. Brilliant. And uh, I wrote the book, Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune, which has a chapter on the houses as well as a chapter on house division and the origins of the different forms of house division. And I also have a three-lecture series in the middle of my online course on Hellenistic Astrology where I go through the 12 houses and how to interpret the ruler of the ascendant and the ruler of different houses in each house, and then finally how to interpret planetary condition within the context of the rulers of the houses so that you can know whether the ruler of the house is working out well and if it's favorably placed or if it's poorly placed and not working out how that will turn out just by showing tons of example charts that I collected in my practice. So you can find out more information about that course at courses.theastrologyschool.com. All right, uh, that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Uh, so thanks a lot for everybody who's listened at, or who has watched this episode on YouTube. Please be sure to subscribe, uh, rate it on iTunes, give us a thumbs up on YouTube, uh, sign up for Patreon to support the podcast if you want to see more episodes like this in the future. And otherwise, that's it. So we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks to the patrons and sponsors who helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through a page on patreon.com, including patrons Christine Stone and Nate Craddock, as well as the Astro Gold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at esar2020.org. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle, May 21st through 25th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. For more information about how to sign up to become a patron of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast.